4: Show live here on ESPN Dayton with Kev Nash live here on Dayton's ESPN radio station. And we have a ton to cover here this afternoon again with you live here on ESPN 1410 Wing AM, streaming live at wingam.com. And of course, you could watch the show live on Facebook and ESPN Dayton's YouTube channel. Go to Facebook, search the Justin Kinner Show, and you can hang out with us weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 p.m. right here on 1410 ESPN radio. Listen, stream, and now. Watch The number to call in, 457-9464. That is the number that you can call and chat it up. Hang out with us for a little bit. Have some fun. Plenty to discuss. And if we're not on something you want to talk about, bring it to the table. We will dive right in. Lots to get into today. We haven't even touched yet. I mean, a couple days into the week, we haven't even touched yet on everything that happened over the weekend. Uh, Of course, in the college football world, we spent a lot of time yesterday reacting to the fallout from week five of the NFL. And technically, week five of the NFL season is not even technically done yet, have the titans who almost screwed everything up now i'm not calling for a forfeiture anymore they're flying tonight i only called for them to forfeit if they could not find a way to get the game in during that said week technically it's the next week but they're getting the game in some way somehow mm-hmm.
2: i'm here for it uh you know this is something we're going to talk about with jason fitz man I could see this becoming a norm for the NFL. I could see them trying to totally take it. They already dominate the sports world, but I could see them doing this. I could see them, obviously, the big slate on Sunday, prime time at night, prime time on Monday, prime time on a Tuesday, prime time on a Thursday. totally take over the entire sports calendar for the fall.
4: All right. Well, we got a lot to get into. I want to open up. I don't know if you watched the game last night. Again, got to see Justin Herbert on full display. And it's been kind of fun watching. Uh, You know, I I always get a big kick out of watching rookie quarterbacks come into the league and have a shot to kind of implement uh, their stamp on their new team on the new season. And last night we had a chance to see that with Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Now, Justin Herbert has had a very interesting journey to becoming the the starting quarterback, I should say, um, you know, for the Chargers at this point. And again, they fall last night in overtime, 30-27. to 27. Mm-hmm. Justin Herbert throws for 264 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, sacked three times, um, but did complete 20 of his 34 pass attempts and had a quarterback rating of 122. The kid's unbelievable. If you look at what he's already gone up against, he's already faced Patrick Mahomes, he's already faced Tom <laughs> Brady, he's already faced Drew Brees. Like this is like baptism by fire, basically. Definitely. Um, be- definitely being thrown out into the trenches. Now I know around here we've you know talked about Joe Burrow a lot, and everyone right away has just said how this kid Joe Burrow looks above and beyond his years. Like he looks like a seasoned veteran, which I don't know how you could tell that when he's on his back the whole time. But again, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I named Baker the second best quarterback of the AFC North before he even officially started. Started a game, So we can all play that fantasy land game all the time. Now, I'm watching the game last night. I, you, if, if you never would have told me, if I had no idea that Justin Herbert was a rookie, you, I, there's no way I would have known. Mm-hmm. He, the, the same things we say about Joe Burrow, about the poise and the control of the offense and just looking like a guy who's in charge, that's Justin Herbert. That's exactly what I saw in last night's game against the New Orleans Saints. Now, I know this team lost, and we're going to get into some of the flaws with the Chargers in just a moment, but I started thinking about the comparisons of Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and keep in mind this is a quarterback class that also the face of the quarterback class was supposed to be the only rookie quarterback that people care about at this point. That's not starting, and that's Tua Tagovailoa. Mm-hmm. I have no clue when all, when it's all said and done, what this quarterback class is going to look like as far as how we view it and grade it, and you know, is it a success or not? I know a few years ago, the group that Baker Mayfield came in with, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson looked like the face of that group with Baker coming in third. I don't think anyone would have predicted that Sam Darnold would have been one of the flops of mm-hmm. that. We've seen Josh Rosen completely disappear, so the quarterbacks. Uh, you know, every year we think we have an idea of who the great quarterbacks are going to be. We're doing it this year with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And we right away with Buckeye fans, oh, Justin Fields looks just as good as Trevor Lawrence. We did it with Dwayne Haskins. Where's Dwayne Haskins right now? He's not just a backup. He's Hmm. a third string. So we have no idea. at home. Yeah. We, we always like to pretend that just because you're dominant in college, that it is right away going to roll over into the pro game. Even if you play a pro style offense in college, it doesn't always work that way. If you for I mean look, there's a lot of quarterbacks. Sam Darnold is one. Everyone thought that he was going to be very similar to Andrew Luck, where he just stepped foot out on the field and was an automatic pro. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? We weren't saying that about Justin Herbert. In fact, Justin Herbert, we were expecting to drop in the draft, and he, and he pretty much did. He you know, he didn't go as high in the draft as what we had anticipated uh, in regards to where the expectations were heading in to last season. But I'm watching Justin Herbert last night and I'm thinking, man, you know, if going into that draft in 2016 and I had to predict and rank the quarterbacks of who was going to be the most successful to least successful, I would have put Sam Darnold at the top of the list. I would have probably put Baker behind Sam Darnold. I would have put Josh Rosen next, Josh Allen, and then Lamar Jackson. And that really, going back, I remember finding my notes from that year, and that's pretty much a very popular list. If you go back and re-listen to a lot of the experts, you know, they know really nothing more or less than I do. We're all just giving our opinion on this stuff. Right. We're just guessing. Really, everyone had very similar views and perception of what that draft class was going to look like quarterback-wise. And coming into this one, Joe Burrow going to be the best. Best college quarterback season of all time, undefeated, mm-hmm. Heisman Trophy winner, national championship, number one overall pick. I mean, their life cannot get any better for Joe Burrow, well, until you get behind that offensive line <laughs> in Cincinnati. So the question I have is you look at this draft class right now, or this group of quarterbacks at least, and I know Jordan Love with with the Packers, it's going to be a while before we ever look at him and put him in the conversation with this group. But two attack of Iloa, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, the best of all those three. We don't know yet with two Attack of but we've seen Justin Herbert. Joe Burrow has one more start than Justin Herbert. And if I had to pick between the two, you can't go wrong with either, but I'm more comfortable with Justin Herbert after what I saw last night. I'm more comfortable with Justin Herbert after what I've seen the first four games. Now, for everyone out there that wants to make excuses for Joe Burrow, hear me out. Oh, it is a question of organization. No offensive line. Zach Taylor. Justin Herbert has it all. I completely disagree. Last night, Justin Herbert had two offensive linemen out. Didn't have Keenan Allen. Uh, He has a head coach who doesn't believe in him. I mean, hell, let's be honest. Look at Justin Herbert. Does he look like a guy that's not ready for the NFL? Isn't that what his coach was trying to convince me and you and everybody else? That Justin Herbert was just not ready for the NFL. That Tyrod Taylor, if healthy, was the right guy for the job because Justin Herbert wasn't healthy. You don't have... Uh, support from your head coach. Your offensive line is not that great either. Uh, you don't play for a great organization. Like things, There's a lot going up against Justin Herbert as well, but he's overcoming it. You know, that, And that's what I like to see from quarterbacks is when things aren't going well, can you overcome it? Baker's biggest flaw last year is when everything was going wrong, he couldn't overcome it. And he had the weapons to overcome it and couldn't do it. Look at Russell Wilson. Worst defense in the National Football League. Offensive line, one of the weakest ones he's had. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have a lot of weapons behind him. This is actually probably the worst Seattle team he's played on from a paper perspective, and they're 5-0 and for the first time in franchise history. Quarterbacks who could do more with less, I'm all for it. Now, last night, they don't win. The Chargers don't win. Mm-hmm. But I feel better about the direction of the Chargers and their offense because of him than I do about the Bengals' direction of Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow's dependent. He's dependent on that offensive line. He's dependent on having weapons around him. Not Justin Herbert. He doesn't have as many we- he doesn't have as many weapons. I mean, you can look at Joe Burrow and argue. You have Boyd. You know, you have T. Higgins. You have Joe Mixon. You have a bad offensive line. But again, is that an excuse or what are you going to do to elevate that offense? Because I mean, you look at the two. You start comparing the stats. Herberts had one last start, better numbers, better completion percentage, better QBR. Heck, Joe Burrow's QBR. There's only two quarterbacks in the NFL that have a worse QBR than Joe Burrow right now. And that's Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins is one of those quarterbacks as far as that's concerned. And the other one is Jeff Driscoll, which coincidentally is former Bengals quarterback. On top of that, I say all of that because if I have to pick between Joe Burrow and right now Justin Herbert, after what I saw last night, I'm all about Justin Herbert. And that's no slight to Joe Burrow. But if I had to pick only one after what we've seen five games into the season moving forward, forget what happened in college, because if you're just going off college, of course it's Joe Burrow. Mm -hmm. But as we've seen with previous greats quarterbacks you know Dwayne Haskins and 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 Baker Mayfield and even you know Lamar as good as he was in college he's not even the same quarterback in the pros as he was in college he's even better so college means nothing it sets the tone to get you it's your ticket to get to the pros but what you do when you get there matters I think Justin Herbert has capitalized more on less starts and less time and less support than the city who gave him everything who has been worshiping his feet since he stepped foot in Cincinnati I'm picking Justin Herbert
2: that's fair uh, based off of what we've seen thus far. Um, you know, the whole thing with Tua, this is why they went with Fitzmagic because the games that he produced on Sunday. Like, he put up 350 yards, three t- touchdowns, only, like, through three incompletions. Those are the reasons why he is still starting. But back to Hubbard, it's looking like that thing that I always liked about quarterbacks from, like, you know, not the big-time schools, it's looking like he was the reason why Oregon was winning. Now, we'll see Oregon play in a couple more weeks, but he's looking like the real deal. And something I always like to stress to people is, you know, when your rookie quarterback is balling, and we've seen it so many times in that sophomore slump, we hear that term all the time. We look at, you know, Baker, sophomore slump, RG3, sophomore slump. What are these guys? I'm off here for the rookie year. I'm here for what they're doing as a rookie. But I want to see what they do with that second year. I think that second year is more important than the first year because now we got tape. We see what you like to do. We see what you can do. And more importantly, we know what you can't do. So we're going to force you to do what you can't do. So everything this year that we're seeing from, you know, uh, Joey B and all the other rookie quarterback starters, that's great. And I want you guys to succeed and everything like that, but I'm more interested in seeing how you follow up the following season once. We got 16 weeks on you, and we know what you like to do and don't like to do, because that's going to tell the true story about how your season's going to go, or your career's going to go. Very
4: true. And again, we are live on Facebook. I'm Justin Kenner. He's Kev Nash. It's the Justin Kenner Show uh, with Kev Nash right here on 1410 ESPN Radio. Listen, stream, and now watch. Last night, Justin Herbert really just stood. I mean, he just stood out. Uh, again, I don't, I don't like the Chargers. I think they're a very boring team. But he, like, I, I turned it on for a little bit. I was going to turn it off. He kept me tuned in. Joe Burrow has the same quality, but man, I had to turn it off over the weekend because it's just the, the Bengals are that bad, and I don't think the Chargers are that much better. But I do believe that you know with, he still has limitations too. It's not mm-hmm. like Justin Herbert has all these resources that put, put him in a better spot to look better. I mean I'm I'm seeing the Facebook response now. Let's go uh, to the Facebook responses now. Again, when you leave your comment in the comment section, we pull it into the show and can interact with you that way. Uh, but Tyler Schrody, he said some other stuff about the Browns, but we're gonna ignore that. <laughs> he says half the people in LA probably don't even know that Herbert is starting. I agree a million percent. I don't think that Herbert's draw to his team and his city is as strong as what Burroughs is. But let's let's be honest, the fans and the in the you know, the fan base loving Joe Burrow, what has that done for him? Has that kept him off his back? has that mm-hmm. kept him from being, you know, running for his life every Sunday? That doesn't mean anything as far as that's concerned. And let's be clear, it's not like you know Herbert has not he has gone up against scrubs. He's gone up against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, the mm-hmm. Super Bowl contender. He's gone up against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, Super Bowl contender. Goes up against the Saints, who coming in you would have labeled as a Super Bowl contender. They're without Michael Thomas. They look slower. They look older. But again, all eyes are going to be on the Saints and Drew Brees moving forward as a potential, you know, a playoff team. And maybe, you know, if they get hot late in the season, a Super Bowl contender. The Bengals haven't even played anyone of significance until they played the Ravens this past weekend. And look at the gap between the Bengals and Joe Burrow and the really good Ravens team. Look at the gap between Justin Herbert and the Saints nearly beat him in overtime and let's be clear the offensive line for the chargers is not that good two starters route you also have a saint's team one of the top pass rushing teams in the nfl and you have Lattimore, one of the best corners. so like that Mm -hmm. defense is pretty good for the saints as far as that's concerned and justin herbert looked like a seasoned vet i'll take herbert over joe burrow as far as that's concerned let's go to uh... jake whiting he says okay but if burrows line was better the bengals would be better burrow had three straight games of three hundred yards Hey, listen, the, the Bengals are down in games. We talk about this all the time, kind of junk
2: stats a little bit. And Burrow's good. Like, this is turning into, like, me, you know, people getting defensive Are here. they down in games all the time? Like, I mean, talk about they're like not winning. I'm talking about, like, are they down where, like, all right, man, we know every single down that they're going to be passing the ball, and these are junk stats. They've only been blown out once. Like, every game. But they're always I, passing because they're down in games. So, like, I mean, I
4: think they're always passing because they're a passing team. But they're not a passing team. When you don't have an offensive line, you don't you're not a passing team. So that's the ineptitude of but head uh, like coaching staff,
2: right? I, I just think they're a passing team because that's what they're better at than running a ball. And I, you I, I, and Joe,
4: I, I, then why'd you pay twelve and a half million to Joe Mixon?
2: You gotta pay somebody. No, you don't? <laughs>
4: you really really don't
2: and we know that
4: we, You really don't jerry jones agrees with me no you don't you do not have to pay anybody if you don't want to pay them they did not have to pay joe Mixon. in fact it's not like joe mixon was on the verge of, of you know becoming a free agent i mean they had a whole other year to go through this they did it early so they, they now they wasted time and money on a position that they're not even using now to be fair mixon has looked really good they've really relied on him more the last couple of weeks and uh, this past weekend, the, the Bengals finally did something I was a fan of. They threw the ball less, only thirty pass attempts. All right, only thirty pass attempts. And I'm fine. And by the way, if they have an offensive line and he's throwing for forty plus times more power to you, dude, because hey, you, you could at least be protected. But you've been hit twenty two times more than anybody else. That's insane, mm-hmm. as far as that's concerned. Jake goes on to say that the offensive line. That's not an excuse. That's a fact. But Jake, we've been talking about offensive line being a factor for the Bengals as an issue for how many years now? And who's to say it's going to get better anytime soon? I have zero faith and zero trust that O-line's going to get better. And in the meantime, he's just a sitting duck. And I think by the time they do figure it out, it could be too late. I'm I'm putting my stock in Justin Herbert moving forward. If I have to rank the quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, Burrow, it's obviously an easy second because Tua hasn't played yet and Jordan Love is still the backup uh, with the Packers. But Tua Tagovailoa? Like this is why you gotta start him. You're not winning if you're the Dolphins. What are you waiting for? They just beat the Niners. What do you you know? What are you waiting for? But you're going nowhere fast. In fact, the more you win with Fitzpatrick, you're not you're hurting your team because you're moving further and further from a draft pick, and you're gonna get to the end of the year and so not you know want to who tank tank you are. From the jump, it's not really tanking. It's finding out what you have. You also have. I mean, if if there's all these concerns about Tua and you don't know if he's your guy. There's a couple of really good quarterbacks in the draft next year that are coming out, which I would make fun of the Dolphins, because if in the last couple of years they could have ended up with Josh Rosen and Antua Tech and still are in a position to potentially get a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields, holy smokes, maybe no the Bengals fans were onto to something about talking about how they're not the worst organization in football, because the Dolphins seem to be a complete mess as far as I mean, they're going nowhere fast. They make enough changes to look like they've improved, but they're running in place as far as I'm concerned.
2: Uh, and yeah, it's, it's very difficult. So what would be a good season for the Dolphins?
4: I don't care if they go 0-16 as long as it's with, which they won't, but with two Tua low. You should be moving forward to something. What are you accomplishing this year? What are you doing? Do you think do you think Tua is really getting that much better in practice? So next year, the very first time he steps foot out on the field, he's technically a rookie at that point. Like so
2: technically if, a rookie. So if the Dolphins make the wild card with Fitzpatrick starting all season, is that a good season or a bad season? Say that again? If the Dolphins make the new wild card spot in the NFL playoffs, is that a good thing or a bad thing?
4: I think it's pointless. I mean, it's good to make the playoffs. Don't get me wrong. But big picture, did you draft Tua? Just to be, I mean, like, look at the Packers. They drafted Jordan Love as a, as a backup, as a, you know, as a, hey, let's just see what happens here, but we know what we have. The Dolphins aren't in that city. The Dolphins are trying to act like they're in control of what they're doing, and they're not. The only reason you were in position to draft Tua is because how bad you are to begin with. So there's that. I, I just, I don't see what you're accomplishing by sitting him. Look, I mean, the Chargers, are, are they already know they got the guy. And that's with the head coach who doesn't believe in him. That's with a questionable roster, with a city that's not, you know, their fans aren't that great. There's so much working against Justin Herbert, and he's doing more with that than what Burrow is doing with an organization that spent $160 million in the offseason, that has a fan base that's drooling over the kid. Uh, I mean, like, the, Herb, I think if you look at Burrow, he has more going for him than what Herbert does in, with the Chargers. And we've already seen more. There goes that. Uh, we've already seen more. I know a certain
2: Herb. engineer that would have put his hands around your throat. The lid's spill. on. The
4: lid's on. And nothing's <laughs> spilt. Nothing's spilt as far as that's concerned. Grover Thompson on Facebook says, uh, you are right. No way Burrow could have gone 0-4 with that Chargers team. Maybe.
2: Maybe. Well, that's not f- I mean, it's not like they're getting smoked. They lost every game by less than seven points. And they're in the game. Like, not, not even, like, score-wise. Like, they're literally dr- either driving to win the game or... They're trying to prevent the other team from scoring to win the game, the Chargers games. Like, this, this is the, all their games are going down to the wire. Not like, oh, man, man, we had a chance and we would have converted that fourth down, we still would have had a chance. Or if we would have stopped them, we would have got a punt and we would have had a chance. Like, no, literally, the clock is hitting zero as the game ends and all these Chargers losses. Like, you got to give them. Oh, you're talking about the it, Chargers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about, about, the, about Bengals. Yeah, I'm Cause talking the Bengals. Because the Bengals are close, too. Yeah, that's how
4: the I mean, Twenty three, twenty three tie with the Eagles. The Browns they lost by five. You lost by you know, if you make a field goal in week one and you're one and zero to start the year. So they've been close too. But it's weird though, because look how many close games the Bengals have lost and they feel like devastating losses. Last night, Justin Herbert loses in overtime to the Saints, and it feels like we're talking about him coming away with a win last night. It's like the it's just that <laughs> the mood around the teams is different. It just feels like the Chargers are further ahead I and mean, they are from a talent perspective, yes. But I just think it's a lot of it because of Justin Herbert, too. Yes, I know the Bengals have a bad offensive line. But how many guys around the league, how many quarterbacks have bad situations? They all have lemons. Who makes the best lemonade? And right now, Joe Burrows is the sourest of them all. By the way, I have some lemonade right oh, here. Oh, look this at you. This is I almost spilled all over everything.
2: It's funny you say uh, the whole thing about it's like we're treating Justin Herbert like he won the game. I saw a meme that says... Y'all lost. I won. <laughs> with him standing there doing kind of like the Joey Bosa shrug and everything like that. It was pretty funny.
4: Oh, my goodness. And by the way, more Facebook reaction coming in. Let's go to Ron Moreland. Bengals always been a passing team. Justin, get your stuff together. I, what, did, what does that have to do with anything? I said, for for one, they want to be a pass. I want to be tall, Ron. I want to be tall. I want to be tall and skinny. It doesn't make me tall and skinny, Ron. The Bengals want to be a passing team, but they don't have an offensive line to be a passing team. Like, when parents tell their kids, you could be anything you want, they are so full of it, it's not even funny. Oh, I want to be tall and skinny. I cannot be tall and skinny. All right? I'm taller than my mom and my dad, and I'm five, five. I have the height in the family. I cannot be tall and skinny. But, hey, I can dream. So the Bengals, they want to be a passing team, fine. But with that offensive line, that was my point, Ron. You know, I'm being a smart ass, But to be clear, I know what you're saying. Yes, they've always been a passing team, and they've complimented it with a good run game. But you can't be a passing team when you don't have the offensive line. To do it. That, that's my point as far as that's concerned. All right. I'm getting a lot on Facebook. We're going to get to more of your reactions. 457-9464. Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow? Everyone in this area is going to pick Joe Burrow over Justin Herbert. I'm just being honest. You can't go wrong with either, but I've been more impressed with Justin Herbert right off the bat, who has one less start than Burrow. 457-9464. That's the number to call in or head to the Facebook page. Search The Justin Kinner Show. And, of course, rip my opinion on there. Leave it in the comments section. We'll read it when we come back. Don't go anywhere. a Cowboy fan. But really, Justin Kenner, you're
1: a Cowboy fan and a Browns
3: fan? Good Lord have mercy. I don't know what the hell to do with y'all. I really don't. Back to the Justin Kenner Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio.
4: Alright, and we are back. Justin Kenner, Kevin Nash with you here on a Tuesday. hope everyone had a great weekend and a great Monday. A great Tuesday. we still got plenty more to get into. I'm looking forward to our conversation coming up around the corner. ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz. will of course chat with him about week five of the NFL season, which I keep talking about it as if it's in past tense. Technically week five is not wrapped up. We're well on our way to prepping for week six, which has a ton of big matchups this weekend, including the Chiefs and the Bills. Uh, we'll find out just how real the Bills are. The Chiefs are coming off of an upset loss against the Raiders, or was it an upset? We'll talk about that with Jason Fitz, his Raiders getting the win over the Chiefs over the weekend, plus Big Ben uh, against Baker. Miles Garrett, first time he'll go up against the Steelers since, well, basically using Rudolph as a pinata a year ago. So we'll find out just how for real this Browns team is, and to, to be fair, we might find out how if your Pittsburgh Steelers are for real. We don't mm-hmm. know. It's been a while since we've seen Pittsburgh look like Pittsburgh. So we'll find out. It's going to be a good game this weekend.
2: Question for you: Since this is the last game of Week Five, right? Mm-hmm. Does Buffalo and Tennessee do they play again this coming Sunday as well? I need to pull up their schedules for this coming
4: up weekend to find out. I. I- they they have to i would assume they would i didn't let, and i have to check cuz yes, they moved they a lot do. they moved a lot of games around look i mean these are some of those sacrifices that these teams are going to have to make but again i'm fine with it if it's incidental like how you catch the virus but whenever you go against proto uh covid protocols and then you push games back you know tennessee has no right to be upset but if I'm Buffalo, I'm a little concerned, especially if you have to play on a Tuesday, and now you have one less day to prepare for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, who are coming off of a loss, and the chances of them losing two in a row are very slim. The chances of them and you know Patrick Mahomes re- you know, reigning Super Bowl MVP, having back-to-back you know average weeks, I don't anticipate that happening. So you have the Chiefs on a short week. That's tough. That's going to be a tough one for the Bills, uh, as far as I'm concerned. We are
2: live on Facebook. All right, I got the answer to that if you want it. Go ahead. So, Tennessee, yes. Yeah. Tennessee is scheduled to play this Sunday. Dang, where did it go? Uh, they play the Texans. Okay. They play the Texans, and then Tennessee. They play the Tennessee.
4: Chiefs. Tennessee as the Texans. Yes, Buffalo.
2: And then as Buffalo the yeah. has the Chiefs on Monday,
4: though. Okay, so they move that. So it. that's fine. Monday but again, at five. still technically, I mean, the beauty part of having Monday night football is that extra off day. But technically, you don't get that extra off day playing on Monday this time because you're playing on a Tuesday. Regardless, I'm looking forward to that matchup. That's going to be a good one uh, as far as I'm concerned. But a lot of big games coming up this weekend. We'll talk more about that with Jason Fitz coming up around the corner. We'll recap some of the big games of college football this past weekend as well as look ahead. Alabama-Georgia. Coming up, that's a big one as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Let's get back to the reactions on Facebook again. We opened up discussing Joe Burrow against Justin Herbert. Joe Burrow, for the he owned all the attention for the first couple of weeks um, with how impressive he has looked, at least from a poise standpoint. Um, but here's the deal: like, so I, I said that after what I saw last night, Justin Herbert has just as many deficiencies for the with the team that he plays on. Maybe not so much the player you know I'm not talking about his deficiencies. I'm not talking about Burrow's deficiencies. I'm talking about the roster deficiencies, um, the chargers are a better roster technically than the Cincinnati Bengals. They have a better offensive line technical uh, technically than the Cincinnati Bengals. But at the end of the day, the chargers are a dysfunctional franchise as well they 're a hot mess as well, even when they had a good quarterback and Kevin and I have debated whether or not you know just how good Philip Rivers was. They still found ways to screw it up. They couldn't get it done in the playoffs. They were never able to go to that next step. Uh, And then you finally, you know, get a good quarterback in Justin Herbert. And instead of starting him right away and trying to figure out what you have, the head coach wasted everyone's time trying to convince us that Herbert was no good, that he wasn't ready for the NFL. Well, does this look like a guy that's not ready for the NFL that has a QBR of about 75? All right, and you have Joe Burrow's QBR that's, like, at 43. Those are only two quarterbacks in the NFL that have a worse QBR than him, and that's Jeff Driscoll, former Bengals quarterback, and Dwayne Askins. Like, Burrow looked impressive the first couple weeks, but I'm telling you guys right now, you fell in love with that narrative of the three straight games of 300 yards plus, but he has not played that well. And you can blame the offensive line all you want. Uh, but let's go back to the Facebook uh, feed. Jason Pruitt says, I think that Anthony Munoz could come out of retirement and be better than anyone they have on that O line right now. That. No arguments here. I agree with you completely. Tyler Fife. Tyler, I hope I'm uh, pronouncing your name right. And by the way, while we are reacting on Facebook, we will open up the phone lines at 457-9464 if you'd like to call in there. You're more than welcome. Fife says, Justin, let me ask you this. How can you judge Joe Burrow with a horrible offensive line? We have seen what they can do uh, when they protect him against the Jaguars. Now, I know their defensive line is horrible. I'm not trying to bash you, I promise. So, Tyler, even if you were, I'm used to it by now. But (laughs) I appreciate the soft uh, landing at the end, um, I know what you're saying. You know how could we get a true view and grasp of who Joe Burrow is? But that's the thing. Like you can't just pretend that you noticed the good with Joe Burrow with the offensive line and then ignore the bad. And I think the one thing that we haven't had someone to compare Joe Burrow to from a rookie standpoint until Justin Herbert has officially got the green light to start. Um, and in last night, just for the fourth straight game that we've got to see him start. Now there's a little bit of that built up comparisons. And let's be clear here. Here's the differences in Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow. Kev, you bring this up all the time. The long ball. Yeah, like Joe Burrow right now is throwing the ball 200 plus times. That's more than anyone else in the NFL. You know how many times Justin Herbert has thrown the ball
2: for? I would imagine like ninety, 141.
4: Okay, so he has a higher clip of passes too. He's one of the you know in one less start than most of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Herbert has completed 97 of his 141 passes for eleven for 1,195 yards, basically 1,200. Mm-hmm. You look at Joe Burrow, who's completed 135 passes compared to only 95, 97 completed passes for Herbert. Don't you think that the total yards for him would be significantly more? Yeah. And it's not. He's only thrown for 100 more yards than Justin Herbert. He has thrown the ball. I mean, you look at 97. He's thrown the ball almost 40 more times than Justin Herbert and only has 100 more passing yards than Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert is, is a big play arm. He's mm-hmm. a playmaker. He is more of what you see from a Patrick Mahomes. He is more of what you see uh, in the passing game at times with Lamar Jackson and some of the top passing quarterbacks in the league. Joe Burrow's all about the short dink and dunk passes, and, heck, he's – I mean, the defense that's is all time to catch up that's, with
2: that's the McVay offense that they're yeah. trying to bring to Cincinnati. And uh, to be perfectly honest, I think the problem with that offense is you have home run type of – wide receivers like we don't know AJ Green for the short catch it short and take it to the house we know him I'm just gonna run past you and jump and catch it and then take it to the house um me being a Florida State fan I know Auden Tate from his Florida State days where he's a jump ball receiver uh watching the rookie last year when he was in Clemson and everything like that he was a long ball receiver So these shorter routes that they're running I don't necessarily think they have the personnel To run those shorter routes And to, you know, take them to the house And everything like that I don't necessarily believe that's the best offense for the receivers Now, you can argue Maybe it's the best offense for Joe B And they have just have to adapt and everything like that But I just, I just don't think the The weapons around him are built for that because, you know, you think back to the Andy Dalton days, you remember A.J. Green with the 40- and 30-yard bomb receptions. You don't remember him running square ends for 10 yards? Yep. It was the long ball. And keep in mind, too, like one of my
4: last memories of A.J. Green being healthy, I believe it would have been it was Baker's rookie year. And, again, that's with the Browns. I get it. But Andy Dalton and the Bengals had, like, I think they were off to, like, a 3-1 and one start. They were off to a hot start. Remember, like, they played, I believe, the Ravens. They took it to the Ravens that year, too, by the way. They, like, scored 28 points in the first half. And uh, I think AJ Andy Dalton had connected on three touchdown passes in the first quarter or the first half with A.J. Green. I mean, literally, they were unstoppable. That was Andy Dalton, who we deemed as, like, a play a game manager. Andy Dalton had more pop in his arm at times. I mean, I've seen bigger plays with the arm of Andy Dalton than I have of Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's thrown the ball 207 times and he only has 100 more yards than a guy who's thrown the ball 97 times. Like that's insane to me. That, that I I don't under, I can't copy, but that's the big playability of the arm right. of Justin Herbert and that's more of what again every NFL team has a different offensive style attack. But you could tell where I'm vibing because I'm not comfortable with the Browns offense unless they're making those big plays. Like right. I I like the, the style of of yeah. And I think the splash plays are where you need to live and die because I think in close games sometimes you're not going to have those splash plays every single possession but man sometimes you're going to look back and say the big playmaking ability with the arms of Patrick Mahomes Uh, you know Baker's had a couple of those last couple weeks with OBJ. OBJ didn't have a great game this last weekend but there was a few possessions that separated the Browns from the Colts because they were able to get in field goal position and get deep into Colts territory because they were able to complete, you know, connect on some deep passes down the middle. I love that style of offense. That's just my preference uh, as far as I cons- uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, now let's be clear. I'm not saying Joe Burrow's a bad quarterback. I'm just taking Justin Herbert at this point over. I think that Justin Herbert long term has the tools to be a better quarterback. Joe Burrow's going to win some games and win a lot of games, but you've talked about it. I mean. Not being able to make that big play, it's Mm -hmm. fine at first because we're judging him based on rookie standards. But the longer he's a quarterback and you start looking at the the top quarterbacks in the league versus the mid-tier and the bottom tier, which we'll get into eventually. We didn't get into that yesterday. (laughs) Joe Burrow, if he can't connect on those big passes, that's what's going to separate him from the top quarterbacks in the NFL.
2: Yeah, you have to be able to make those splash plays. You can't expect your offense to basically drive it 80 yards down the field for touchdowns every play. I mean, every time you... Take the series. You need to make a chunk. You need to make plays of 30 yards on those drives. You know, a person that is good for that is my guy, Russell Wilson. Like, he is the definition of splash play. It would be a splash play with his legs, uh, be it a splash play over the top of the defense. I mean, shoot, look at Aaron Rodgers. He is a splash play. Splash plays not only ignite your offense, uh, ignites the crowd when we used to be able to go to the games. Uh, But, like, you know, when you're just constantly four yards, four yards, five yards, like, yeah, a score is a score, but a splash play works better. Because like good
4: def- good defenses will take those little yeah. yards away. That's my I guess that's yeah. my big point about that. Good defenses will take those away, and we saw that this past weekend against the Ravens. As far as I'm concerned,
2: yeah, so. and they're and they're gambling on you. Like, all right, you're going to try to drive it fifteen plays on the Ravens defense. Not going to happen. You're not going to drive the ball fifteen plays on the Ravens on the Steelers on Buffalo. You're probably going to turn it over. It's probably going to be a turnover if you're on the field 15 plays. That's why you need to make chunk plays. Chunk plays get you into field goal range.
4: All right, we're going 457-9464. It's the number to call in and join in on the conversation. So I'm looking at these Facebook comments and people are getting fired up. I am very well aware that you need time to throw the ball and that you need time to connect on the deep balls. But let me ask you, Bengals fans, you're getting fired up here, but I need, I need you to answer a serious question. They need an offensive line. They've, they needed an offensive line last year. They needed one the year before that, the year before that, and the year before – I mean, it's going to be 2021 before we – we'll still be asking the same questions. The last time they had a, an okay offensive line was, what, 2015? Like, so, again, you, keep, you guys keep saying all of these things, but to sit there and say, well, they need an offensive line, so as soon as they get one. Folks, you guys were saying the same thing back in 2016, and here we are four years later, five years later, and we still don't know – when they're going to get that offensive line. So that's why, for me, I'm rolling with Justin Herbert as far as that's concerned. Uh, you know, I have more trust that the Chargers, who I don't really care for their organization, but I trust that they're going to put better pieces and that they're going to protect their quarterback better. And by the way, it's not as if Justin Herbert's going up against bad teams and bad defensive lines. The Saints were the top pass rushing teams in football, and he played just fine last night as far as I'm concerned. Four five seven, nine, four, six, four. let's go to Rob. Rob and Dayton, how are you?
5: Hey, how you guys doing? Good. Hey, just want to start this off by saying I am a Bengals fan. Okay. Um, But we got to stop acting like the Chargers line isn't bad as well. The the Chargers don't have a good line either. Um, And we all know the Bengals don't. The Bengals don't have a good line. But let me ask Bengals fans this, because I try to be a realist about this. Mm -hmm. How many throws has Burrow made that where you just go, wow, how'd he make that throw? I can't. I can count one this season through five games. Justin Herbert made three or four just last night. It <laughs> made me say, "Wow." Okay, now, and I'm not trying to dog on my Bengals here, but through five games, Justin Herbert looks like the better quarterback.
4: Uh, and that, me and you are on the same page as far as that goes. And just to set the, I'm going to set the once more. Time. I'm not bashing Joe Burrow either. I like Joe Burrow. This is a you know between the two though. I'm more impressed with Herbert right now, who I think, is, if he keeps at this pace, he'll win rookie of the year as far as that's concerned. But, uh, no, I agree with you about the Chargers' offensive line as well. In fact, they had a bad offensive line win healthy, and they were without two of their starting offensive linemen last night as far as that goes. Uh, while you're on with this, Rob, I'm going to read you a couple Facebook reactions here, too. Doug Morgan says, "By or, I'm sorry, the, David Shaw says, Joe Burrow isn't Russell Wilson. It's not fair to compare the two. I don't expect Joe Burrow to be Russell Wilson at this exact moment, but, I mean, there needs to be a little bit of making lemonade up. Of lemons, the way we saw Burrow, or the way we saw Wilson do, who was not supposed to be the starter his rookie year. Um, better roster, though, as far as that's concerned. We, you
5: know, us Bengals fans, we talked all offseason and convinced ourselves that we had, from what I was being told, the top, top five weapons in the NFL. And now we're saying we don't have any weapons. I agree. Herbert, all, all Herbert has is, is Keenan Allen and, and, and Henry, the tight end,
4: which he did not have Keenan Allen last night.
5: And he lost his running back Eckler. He's doing it with backed-up running backs. And like I said, it's also a bad line. Now he does have a lot better defense. Uh, I will say that. But I mean, Wing we got We got to take our blindfolds off through through five games. Wing Herbert's the better quarterback.
4: Yep, and that's not saying that Joe Burrow's not a good quarterback. It's just I think both not could be all. true. Joe Burrow's a good quarterback. Both could be true. Joe Burrow's still a good quarterback, but Justin Herbert's just better right now. And it's because the Chargers, you know, the way they use him differently, I guess. I don't know. But, I mean, that offensive line's so bad, it is tough to get a true test of who Joe Burrow is. Yeah. So. All right. Hey, thanks, Justin. Hey, Rob, anytime. Call back anytime, man. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, good stuff there. 457-9464 is the number to call in and join in on the conversation. I see quite a few of you guys on hold. We're going to get to your calls, more of your takes, and your Facebook takes. When we come back, more of the Justin Kitter show with Kev Nash next.
3: Buckeye okay, fans, the season is finally here. No, for real this time. ESPN 1410 Wing AM is Dayton's home of the o-
4: Right, and we are back. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN radio station 1410, Wing AM. So, the Sunday morning tailgate show live from Frickers on 741 it is making its return. Not, meow, meow, not, meow. not this Sunday. But a week from Sunday. That's right. The first Sunday morning after Ohio State beats Nebraska. We'll be live (laughs) at Frickers on 741. Uh, And, of course, uh, we're looking forward to bringing that back. Myself and Keith Byers will be live at Frickers on 741 for the Sunday morning tailgate show. We'll be getting you set for all the day's action again of that week's NFL games as well as recapping the Buckeyes from the day before. And coincidentally enough... Bengals, Browns, that's going to be a fun one (laughs) coming up around the corner. I know Bengals fans are huge fans of mine uh, as far as that's concerned. All right, uh, let's go back to the Facebook comments and we're going to get your phone calls in just 10 seconds. Uh, Shaw says, put Herbert in this offense, in the offensive line, and they looked the exact same. Maybe, I'm still telling you right now, I'm more impressed with the big playmaking ability of the arm of Justin Herbert than I am of Joe Burrow. That'll change maybe, but as of right now, what I saw last night Justin Herbert on a bad Chargers team looks better than Joe Burrow on a bad Bengals team. And sure, the Bengals are worse than the Chargers, but everyone has lemons. I'm all about who makes the best lemonade with them lemons. And right now, Justin Herbert's lemonade's pretty good. Pretty good. So we'll see.
2: Uh, let me. I'm going to pull up a question for you because I want to check something before I ask you this question so we can go to the phones.
4: Uh, let's go to the phones. Let's go to Charlie. Charlie, what's up, man? How are you? This is Steve. 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 My bad. <laughs> How are you, sir? Welcome in, Steve.
5: I'm all right. Uh, I agree with you that Herbert's a better looking so far. But here's a question for you, Justin. Mm-hmm. Herbert or Mayfield? Oh, Herbert. All day long. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so I'm
4: Herbert. Just... Right now, from what I've seen so far. But to be fair, I think Baker looked better in his first five rookie games than what Herbert has. Now, but that's the thing. Everything changes. So that's why Bengals fans who are getting upset with me, Baker looked, I mean, he looked like, he was a big playmaker as well his first five games as a rookie when there's limited tape. That's what everyone kept saying. There's limited tape on him. When teams figure you out, how do you adjust? And right now, Justin Herbert's having a field day, and, uh, you know, as teams catch up with him, he's going to change. And then maybe by the end of the year, it's back to Burrow is is the better of the two. But just right now, I just like Justin Herbert a little bit better. But I'm also not going to deny that the offensive line for the Bengals has kept Joe Burrow from taking that next step. So I will acknowledge that.
5: Yeah, but what do you think, how do you think Baker looked yesterday? I mean... Honestly, or not yesterday, but I mean Sunday.
4: Oh, I love the way he looked until the uh, second half, and then uh, it was old Baker. But uh, I thought it was interesting that Stefanski opened up the offense for him. I've been, you know, talking about that the last couple of weeks that they've really been keeping him in a box. I mean, he's been averaging 150 to 175 yard pass, uh, passing yards a game. I'm like, man, that's like the ultimate game manager role. But they opened it up a little bit. I wanted to see how he would handle an offense if they took the run game away. How would they be able to respond with the passing game? Obviously, that turnover bug is still a big part of his game, and I think that's the biggest concern moving forward. I was not happy about that, but as I said yesterday, Steve, the Browns got a win on a day that Baker didn't play good in the second half. They lose that game a year ago, so I guess that's growth.
5: Well, last question for you. I mean, you know, Drew Brees, I think this has got to be his last year. I mean, he's had way too many halves where he's looked terrible. He looked awful in the first half. Now they got the win. But he, he's not the same guy, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on that?
4: I agree with you. And here's the scary part about uh, Drew Brees. Drew Brees usually plays his best football to start the season. Then he gradually gets worse as the year goes on, especially towards the back end. So if this is Drew Brees to start the year, how bad is he going to look at the tail end? Again, basing that off of patterns of his play and, de, you know, decreasing play as time goes on. So, uh, But, Steve, thank you uh, for the call, man. I appreciate it. Uh, but, yeah, Drew Brees, I, I would be concerned about that in the back end. But let's go to Charlie. Charlie, what's up, man? You're up.
5: Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey. Uh, Hey, hey, uh, as far as Drew Brees, I thought I heard a week or two ago that they had to talk him into coming back this year. Do you know about
4: that? Well, he was about to retire. Remember, there were rumors that he had come out and said that he really wasn't set on playing this year, that he was really on the verge of of hanging it up and calling it a career. Uh, And he made the late decision to come back. Um, I don't know what went on behind the scenes. I'm not privy to that. I don't know what was going on behind the scenes as far as them begging him to come back. But I do believe that the Saints were pretty confident in in Hill and obviously going out and getting Winston. I think that they're confident in the guys in their locker room. But uh, I think you always try to get Drew Brees to come back if you have a chance. But that's before you saw that this is the new Drew Brees. Fair enough. Uh,
5: As far as uh, Burrow goes, uh, man... that, that first game that we actually played the Chargers he threw a couple real nice deep balls that one went right through John Ross hands. you know the other who's John Ross right who,
4: who, who's, <laughs> who's John Ross Says has someone checked on him I don't even know if he exists anymore
5: but it, yeah I agree and there's a lot of frustrating things right now with the Bengals but I was watching that Ravens game early and they you know they show like rankings for the defense like the Ravens run defense was top five, top ten. But their pass defense was way back in the 20s. And I was just wondering why we were not a, and, you know, it's like, okay, well, he, he got sacked a bunch, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm with you. Like, why Why is he throwing any deep balls? Like, what is the problem?
4: Yeah, the Ravens' pass like, defense isn't one of the best in football, and they had starters out on top of that. So I agree with you. But, look, uh, Joe, to defend Joe Burrow, I agree with what the the guys on Facebook are saying about it's kind of hard to sit back for three or four Mississippi to throw a deep ball, you know, to to allow a play to fully develop. You need time, and he doesn't have that time. But uh, the biggest knock against Joe Burrow, even going back in the the preseason, whatever the preseason was because we didn't get to see games, was the big question mark was his arm strength and his inability to be able to make those, you know, the plays he made in college, for whatever reason, aren't translating into the pro game right now. Again, it's rookie year, five games. I'm not beating him up for that. I'm just acknowledging what we're seeing so far.
5: Yeah, and I don't buy like right, I don't buy for a second he don't have a default because
4: we saw it all last year, no way, right?
5: <laughs> there's no way you go watch that LSU tape and then and then you're just like, oh, he's a it. He's bigger. He's stronger than he was. Like I don't know if you saw him right before the season started, but he got he got a lot bigger. Um, and I, you know what? I kind of wonder if maybe he got hit rock in that Eagles game. And maybe he's got a little bit of an injury that nobody knows about. Maybe he just doesn't have all
4: the deep ball. Uh, that's, that, that's where I, I the footsteps are coming into play. That's where they're getting rocked early in the season. I mean, we're not even at the halfway point of the season, and he's been sacked 22 times. That's the concern. And you look at uh, yeah. Herbert, Herbert's been sacked seven times uh, in that time frame. So there's a big, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's two or three games worth of sacks that Joe Burrow has on, on Justin Herbert, and he's only started one more game than Justin Herbert.
5: Well, and if you think about Tyrod Taylor, you wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known. Nobody would have known that he had cracked ribs, except for when they punctured his lung and to give him a pain, you know, pain injection. So I'm sure a lot of that goes on, and of course they're not going to talk about it. But he, some of the throws that he does make, I don't. And I know he, he his what he puts out there is very confident. And I think that's a smart thing to do, but some of the throws, I don't, man, I don't know. I and, and to compare him with Herbert, Herbert, man, he's just cutting it loose. I don't, I don't really know what the difference is. Why they're just kind of letting Herbert cut loose, or if he just feels like he don't have the same pressure, or what it is. But man, it, and the saddest thing is, there is absolutely no chemistry with AJ Green right now. And that is
4: frustrating the crap out of me. I don't get it. No, I'm with you. And Charlie, I appreciate you being patient, hanging out with us here today as always, man. Great hearing from you. All
5: right. Hey, you guys, take
4: care. Adios, man. Appreciate the call. Uh, To his point about the uh, Bengals, we got to get over A.J. Green. A.J. Green was gone three years ago. Like, I'm not being funny here. I'm being serious. Like, A.J. Green, like, he may be on the roster, but that's not A.J. Green. And, like... With all the issues with that roster, Burrow's timing with AJ is the last thing on that priority list as far as figuring it out. Because. It's not there. I mean, Boyd and others he's connected with on a regular basis. Like build on that. The, the, the T Higgins, by the way, the new duo moving forward is T right. Higgins and Joe Burrow.
2: But what's going to happen when AJ Green signs with the Patriots next year and he's putting up oh, <laughs>
4: no. Him, Cam Newton. By the way, Le'Veon that's, Bell. That's, what, that's what's going to make everybody mad. Le'Veon <laughs> Bell's on the trade block. How much you want to bet you got a Cam Newton, AJ Green, Le'Veon Bell, Patriots triangle over there? I tell you
2: what. Uh, um, playing for a thousand bucks a game. The
4: Bengals. Yeah, the Bengals are the feeder system for the Patriots, as we all know. All right, folks, Hour 2 coming up. When we come back, speaking of your Cincinnati Bengals and, of course, the Cleveland Browns at times, Hugh Jackson just revealed in an interview this week, he revealed what his biggest regret was going back to his Cincinnati Bengals days. I'll have that regret for you coming up around the corner. Plus, we'll talk a little college football. Dan Mullen in Florida, he's upset about the home field advantage that the away team had and that his Florida team did not have this past weekend, but he wants the home field advantage for his Florida Gators moving forward. Ford. During a pandemic, he wants 90,000 fans in the stands. Rona. His quote, followed by what came after his quote, it's irony at its best. And I'll have that for you next. Don't go anywhere. More of the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash next.
3: Mm-hmm. We are James somo the Ohio State...
4: Real quick, as we close out this Burrow-Herbert conversation, we're going to transition into some college football stuff here in just a moment. Um, but uh, Matt Sturgeon says that the Bengals' 2020 season, in a nutshell, run the ball, dump the ball short, win three or four games, keep your quarterback alive, and fire Zach Taylor. First three draft picks need to be the O-line, move on from A.J. Green, John Ross, Bobby Hart, etc. I agree with you 110%, Matt Sturgeon. That it was my argument weeks ago about, hey, Stop dropping him back 40 to 60 times a game. Good things don't happen. Now, the sad thing is, is <laughs> they did what I said, Kev. They, they only threw the ball 30 times this past weekend against the Ravens, okay? Only 30 times. And I say that only 30 times because that's the least amount of pass attempts in a single game that he has had this year. Guess what, though? He got sacked more times in that one game throwing 30 pass attempts than he did in any other game, including the game where he threw the ball 60-plus times against the Browns. And he's had a couple 40-plus attempted games. Yeah, I mean, Shane Sheridan says, yeah, what Jake said, uh, going back to the offensive line. Look, guys, we can't just dumb it down and say, oh, that the only reason Burroughs doesn't look as good as Justin Herbert is because of the offensive line. As I've said, the Chargers' offensive line is not that much more impressive than the Bengals. In fact, last night, the Chargers' offensive line, went healthy, is not that much better than the Bengals. And they actually had two injuries. Two guys on their offensive line last night were out. So stop with the offensive line stuff. Herbert was pressured a lot last night. He was on the run a lot. But again, you want to know what they did for the play calling last night, Kev? You see how many times he rolled out? Yeah. They rolled him out. Like, they knew that the pressure's coming, so they designed plays for the rollout. Herbert's athletic. Yeah. He can throw on the run. I'm not saying Burrow can't do those things, but, again, when you know that your pocket's collapsing one second into the second you hike the ball and you're only calling plays that he drops back in that pocket, that's why hurt. I mean, look, the Browns are doing that with Baker Mayfield, too, and they have a good offensive line. But, again, that's maybe, that may not be Burrow's style.
2: I don't know, but I'm just Well, saying. he's definitely athletic enough. I mean, he, that's one of the reasons why Ohio State initially recruiting him under herb because like oh man he's like, oh man he can run my offense which means run the quarterback a ton and his first year at lsu it was a ton of that quarterback draw stuff um it wasn't until the last year where he started dropping dimes all over the place so he's definitely athletic enough to roll out the pocket and you know do that type of stuff i think it's just the system that they're running that isn't real those guys you talk about outliers those dudes are outliers most dudes are the point guard. Most dudes are the game manager. That is the most of the quarterbacks in the NFL. So you want to talk about outliers? Those guys are outliers. You're lucky that this thing's separating us. That's all I got
4: to say. For fact, though. Four, five, seven, four, I got your facts right here. I got your facts right here. Four, five, seven, nine, four, six, four. Give the show a call. Kev, we'll get you, uh, you taken care of and We'll get you on the air uh, as far as that's concerned. There you go. There you oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll be back. But 457-947. Okay, so on Facebook again, uh, as far as that goes. But uh, and, and when Kev gets back on, he'll tell you what we talked about during the break, about the experience factor, right, potentially playing a role in that. We're going to get to college football stuff in a moment. I have a Hugh Jackson story for you. He shared what his biggest regret was going back to his days with the Cincinnati Bengals. That's coming up here in a few. What you got? True American. True, holy smokes! The true American is this really you?
0: Yeah, it's me, dude. How are you?
4: Oh, How, happy four and one, happy Steelers I'm living, week. I'm, hey, I'm living
0: in hog heaven football, baby.
4: <laughs> Loving every minute of it. This just made my day. I tell you what, we just talked about you yesterday, and, and I'm so glad go. to hear your voice. And then when Sunday
0: we go over to the ketchup field and, and stomp uh, Squidler's ass, which I guarantee we will. It's time we finally have a coach, general manager, some front office people. We're leading, or I think we're leading the league in rushing, correct? 204 yards? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yep. Uh, the only thing that kind of scares me right now is that back end of that defense. Zandeo, they need to sit him down. He, he sucks. He gets burnt every time. And I know we lost Delpit, you know, in the... In, uh, Training camp because they tore the ACL, I think. Right.
4: Yeah, he's out for the year, right, and even right. if he's healthy, I mean, what to see? I mean, as a rookie, I always get concerned about rookies. But man, Ward was good his rookie years. So they just got to get some guys who know what they're doing back there because the, the defense worries me. They lead the league in takeaways, but man, they they still make me uncomfortable watching them play defense. You know, defense. I
0: don't. I, don't rip. I heard Jerry yesterday. I'm on day shift this week, and I heard Jerry, you know, ripping on my Browns. Now I gave his I gave his Raiders and when I've seen him up at Frickers. I always give him respect, and he's ripping on the Browns and making all these excuses. You know. I heard him, you know, run his jibs about a win is a win and all this. Well, you know, he's 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 worried because in a couple of weeks when we spank their ass, you know what I'm saying?
4: Oh, that's what I told him. I said, you got you forget that we play the, you know, the Browns and Raiders play here in a few weeks, so yep. you know.
0: What a, So, uh, Freckers, open them doors back up to you guys, huh?
4: Absolutely. Not this Sunday, the week, week yeah. from Sunday, October and, 25th.
0: And what a great one to, because we play the Pop Warner team down on the river. <laughs> <laughs> you got
4: awesome. all your greatest hits today. I love it. I love it.
0: That will, that will be the greatest thing. Uh, I love Colin Turd now. All of a sudden, he's swinging from you-know-what Cleveland. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, acting like you know, oh, they played a. Great, they're they're this, they're that, and he, all the talk. He's always hating on Baker and hating on the Browns. You know, I know you got to, you know, to be the man. You got to beat the man, and you got to earn your respect. But, uh, and I, I don't want Chubb hurrying back. Correct. We want to keep him. For later in the game.
4: Especially, uh, I agree with you, especially if they're still winning and yeah. they're still in the playoff hunt, no pun intended with Kareem Hunt. But if they're still in the playoff hunt, if they can get to the playoffs with Nick Chubb well rested, then my goodness, yeah. a dominant run game will only get even more there dominant. There
0: go. And our offensive line, we have finally got an offensive line. A lot of people don't understand that the Treader last year was hurt about 98% of the time and played with a jacked up ankle and everything. I love that guy. He's a blue color, lunch bucket kind of guy that I love. Pattonio, Pro Bowler. I love uh, Teller, Yeah, the right guard. Yep. He, he's a he's a smash mouth. You know, hand in the dirt, just grind it, and I love it. And I think uh, Wills is going to be a superstar left tackle for us. And I really do. And getting Conklin from Tennessee, we finally got an offensive line. And everybody gets all hyped up about the quarterback and wide receiver, running backs, yada yada yada. If you don't have them studs up front, it don't matter. And we finally we finally got five studs, I believe. So, but uh,
4: we wrote, last year you were real down on OBJ. He's much
0: better I this know, year. I, yeah. You're okay. You, yeah. I'm gonna eat a little crow there.
4: No, I'm not doing that. I told you something. I'm, I'm just seeing not. if your opinion changed because he's changed a lot of people. Well, he's have he, he has people on the verge of changing their minds. He's been real well, effective yeah. really.
0: And I, it's not just him, Justin, but all these professional athletes. You have got all this god given ability. Just shut your mouth and play, man, and all your critics will go away. You know what I'm saying? Don't talk about stuff off the field. Just just play the game, and you'll get more respect. And I know he was hurt last year, somewhat. My son, you know, Junior, got on me about you know, Daddy was hurt last year, and he still played. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But just don't try and draw. And I don't, you know what I love about Chubb? when he scores? What's he do? It's like you teach your kids in peewee wee football. Just go hand the ball to the official. You know what I'm saying? The guy's just a mild-mannered. He just goes about his work. Uh, I totally respect that kind of athlete today in this, in today's world. You know what I'm saying?
4: Absolutely. And, my, and to go back to your point about the, the players who do a lot of the talking, as you've seen with Baker and others, you could talk, but you got to win. And well, if, you're if you're winning for- and talking, it's better. But when you're not winning and you're still talking, that's when you bring a lot of unwanted attention to yourself. I'm
0: still, I'm still with Baker. I'm on his bandwagon. I, uh, what I would love to see another statement game Sunday is maybe maybe the running game's not clicking a little bit. I want to see him and a quarterback. I don't want a quarterback that's going to throw for three or four hundred yards and lose. You know what I'm saying? Padding the stats. I don't care about that. You want to win at the end of the day. But I would like, as the year goes on, and I think Baker finally has got a coach he believes in. And he let's let's be honest, all the different coordinators. All, you know what I'm saying? The kid ain't had a chance, really. The guy's got ability. He can play in the NFL. And let's just everybody pump your brakes a little bit, as Stephen A. says. Bump your brakes on him, but I would like to see sometime down the road this year him kind of take the team on his own shoulders without the running game. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying, Justin?
4: No, that's what I said last week. My big question was if a defense takes the run game away, how is he good enough right. to carry them? And last week, you know, the Colts took that run; they they stifled it just a little bit, right? And they went to the pass game. He had two interceptions late, but again, he still made enough plays for them to come away with the win—a game that they don't win a year ago.
0: Right. And I love the Bryant kid. I think he's going to be special, and I, I just I just love and and. You know who's going to love teeing off Sunday? My boy, Miles Garrett. I hope he just gets a hold of Ross and the just drives him right in the ground. Dislocated shoulder. I'd love
4: every second of it. Hey, I'll let you guys go. There he is. It's been a while. We haven't heard from him since the offseason. <laughs> since the offseason. That's the true American. That's Steve from Springboro, the ultimate Browns fan. Right Definitely. there.
2: He's represented for his squad. should be happy. They're winning some games. And, know, they're right there. Your Steelers coming up as he calls them your squealers coming it's, up. Hey, this weekend. I'll we'll see what happens on the field. I I mean, him talking about, scared. No, him talking about you what's going to happen isn't going to do anything on the field. Me talking about what's going to happen isn't going to do anything. But see, on the that's field. the thing. Steelers it's fans know you
4: guys are obnoxious. You guys always talk, and you're now you now you're doing the um, when um, when the Browns win. now when have you ever
2: heard me me? me. We are not talking about the rest of Steeler Nation. We're talking nah, about But you me. do this smug little. We'll see. What? Well, see, that's louder. That that's
4: louder and more obnoxious than the old That's Wizard your own that, insecurity. You know, no, because, that ain't insecurities. Because Listen, i ain't. listened to Browns, Steelers fans long enough. Okay? <laughs> long enough. And then this week, Steelers fans on Facebook and Twitter, that they're, they're quiet. And why are they quiet? They didn't all of a sudden learn how to respect the game and just, <laughs> oh, no, we respect our opponent. Because they're scared. The Steelers know. This ain't the typical Browns
2: team, which you've acknowledged. You've acknowledged. When have you heard me say anything out of the... No, That is my rhetoric on everything in sports. Steelers fans are all the same.
4: (laughs) You may not say it to me, but you say it out there. So there you go. David Shaw says Steelers plus the points and the cover. All right. Well, Kev's going to be covering his eyes on Sunday because the Browns are coming away with a win. He haven't even done our pick'em segment yet. I'm already telling you, Steelers hey. are losing hey. to the Browns. Hey, don't don't do this. Hey, hey, the, even hey. last year the, with Freddie frickin' Kitchens leading the way, the Browns beat the Steelers. So uh, you know, I'm just saying. And that and was with the bad Browns. Team. Duck
2: Hodges started a quarterback and won.
4: It wasn't Duck Hodges. It was the other moron quarterback that no, 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 started no, no, the, the other game. Thing. So, uh, yeah.
2: No, no, I'm saying Duck Hodges started another game and won.
4: Oh yeah, with half, with all the defense out and injured, no Miles Garrett. Oh yeah. yeah. The, uh, you're bragging about that. You're All bragging about ours, being our that. Our Hall of Fame See, quarterback, quarterback
2: was out. huh? Our Hall of Fame quarterback was out. You didn't hear me crying. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's I part know. of the game, man. Injuries are part of the game, dog. It happens. By the way,
4: every weekend I'm getting the same reactions here. Every week, everyone's rolling their eyes. He's picking the... They're 4-1. They're 4-1. and one. They're winning games. The and curse, people are still mocking me. The curse of Kenner, coming soon. And I'm picking the Browns, talking us back about the Browns. We're live on Facebook, and I'm repping the Cowboys. I need to get rid of this, though. They're embarrassing right now. Yeah, but the Red Rifle, everyone's excited about the Red Rifle leading the way for the Dallas Cowboys. So there's that. All right, we got college football to get into. I want to talk college football. Kind of steered left and steered right. But it was great hearing from Steve from Springboro. How about that? Browns are 4-1. and one. Never talked to Steve from Springboro when the Browns are above 500. So there's that so there's that when we come back we'll take a look at some of the top matchups in college football for this weekend we'll also talk about florida dan mullen he says he wants ninety thousand fans in attendance for florida's matchup with lsu this weekend he says that they have the safest facilities that they do it the right way that they are the safest team in football but the news that came after that it's karma at its finest we'll get to that coming up around the corner the ap poll is out
3: Kidding, we all do. It's the ESPN Dayton hashtag. We
4: want to get paid cash contest. Listen for the word the ESPN Dayton hashtag. We want to get paid cash contest. Your shot to win a thousand dollars. It's another hour. We have another keyword. You have another shot to win a thousand dollars. Head to wingam.com. Click on the hashtag. We want to get paid cash contest. And enter the winning word for this hour: teeth, T E E T H. Teeth. Use it in a sentence. You say <laughs> the Browns are going to punch the Steelers' teeth down the throat this weekend. Browns over the Steelers. I cannot wait. Submit the word teeth. Yes, SEC. The you know they they are all of those teams. There's a good pocket of teams that every year we do that with, and mm-hmm. they are back. Texas, Miami. Tennessee, and I really hate putting Tennessee in that category because I really think Miami and Texas have a much more respected history. I'm not saying Tennessee's is bad. But I'm just saying, like, Miami, college football needs Miami and Texas more than they need Tennessee. There's enough teams in the SEC, let's just be clear, as far as that goes. But I'm watching the Miami game. and watching fun the Clemson game.
2: Tennessee. Fun fact about Tennessee. Oh, well, fun you fact ready? You ready? Fun fact, ready? oh, yeah. They were the first champions of the BCS era. Wow. Yeah. And now they are? Number
4: well, they lost over the past weekend, but you know we'll get to that in a moment. But the Clemson Miami game, I sat down to watch that Saturday night. I'm like, man, this this is the first game this year where I feel like it just had a big game feel, uh, and I really enjoyed the start of the game. Miami looked okay to start, you know. But look, Clemson, they're head and shoulders better than Miami. They're head and shoulders pretty much better than everyone in college football except for two particular teams, and maybe just one. Because what I saw from Alabama this past weekend is a really good offense that I think that the defense of Clemson could stall or at least slow down. But, man, Trevor Lawrence, if they run into Alabama in the playoff, they are going to carve them up like a pumpkin this Halloween. I'm telling you, that uh, that defense for Alabama, that's not your typical Nick Saban Alabama defense. But to be clear, not a lot of teams are playing defense. I mean, Alabama gave up 48 to Ole Miss. Texas A&M scored 41 on Florida. Florida scored 38. You know, Notre Dame's giving up 26 to Florida State, which whatever, you know, 26. I mean, that's that fringe. In college football, it's a fringe line. But, I mean, there's a lot of points being given up. And no one has really locked teams down defensively. Georgia's looked okay. They won 44-21 over the weekend against Tennessee. But Alabama, I'm sold on them, but I'm not sold on that de- That defense will come back and haunt them come playoff time.
2: What do you think about the whole thing about him possibly? When I'm talking about him, I'm talking about Lane Kiffin. Him knowing their calls, kind of a la when the Buccaneers faced the Raiders when John Gruden was the head coach and they were stupid enough not to change their signals.
4: uh... My thing on that is that, like, when you're going up against team, your practice team, you're know, like your guys in practice, they know it's coming. You still got to execute in practice. Like that's the thing, though. It's still Ole Miss. They still have a lot of holes, you know, in that roster. You know, Kiffin taking over. Like, let's be clear, though. That's why you watch film. I mean, even if, it, if it's if it's Ohio State versus Alabama, and Alabama and Ohio State watches hours and hours and hours of film on Alabama. You think that they don't know what plays are coming? You think that you know when as they're making adjustments at the line? So is the defense? The defense is shifting. So I never agree a hundred percent that the defense knowing your plays is what you know hurts you because. Mm-hmm. If the team across from you knows your plays, that's called that they're prepared because they've watched film. (laughs) Now, unless you have a, you know, if you've run 100 plays on the year and you have a whole other binder of 100 plays you haven't run, then fine. But I highly doubt that's the case. A lot of the schemes are very similar. So I get what you're saying, and I'm pretty sure that's the case. I mean, look, we all know. I mean, when you have someone on your staff that long, they know your ins and outs. And if anyone knows Nick Saban better than anyone else, it's probably Lane Kiffin, who's a student of the game. I can't stand him. Not a lot of people can. But good for Lane Kiffin. Good for Lane Kiffin if they did know it and he was able to coach his team and organize his team in a manner that they could take away every little tiny thing from Alabama, to me, that's signs of a good coach. But yeah. if you know what's coming and you've trained and you've coached your team well enough that they know how to stop everything coming their way, Kudos for Lane Kiffin, and I don't think he's that good a coach, so I'm not giving him that much credit. That's why I'm saying I don't think that had had as much to do with why they gave up so many points.
2: I think he's a brilliant offensive mind Mm -hmm. Uh, as far as coach and as far as guy. I think he's a slime ball, but let's not forget that Florida Atlantic, when he was the head coach there, he put up 21 on Ohio State. Uh, We'd like to talk about UC and Luke Fickle and everything like that and how good they are. They put up a goose egg on Ohio State. Indiana put up 10 points on Ohio State, a big 10 team. Then the uh, the Mac Champs put up five points on Ohio State. Then Nebraska put up seven points. Another big 10 team. Michigan State put up 10 points. Another big 10 team. Northwestern put up three points. Wisconsin, big 10 team, seven points. Maryland, big 10 team, 21 points. Rutgers, 21 points. Bing, bing. Uh, Penn State, 17 points. So we go all the way until the biggest rivalry we have, Michigan, before somebody scored more than Lane Kiffin scored. 27 points by Michigan. So I accredit I that just him being smart, and he's a good offensive mind. And the way the game is set up today is set up for scoring. You can't touch anybody. You can't hit anybody. It's set up for offense. So if your offense isn't scoring at least 28 points a game, you should be ashamed of yourself in this era of football. Like this isn't three yards in a cloud of dust era. It is set up for your team to score a lot of points. I don't necessarily put a lot of ownership in actual points that you give up. I I put it on how many plays it takes you to run those, get those amount of points. If your defense is creating turnovers as well, getting the ball back to your offense, like, those are more important than punts nowadays. Like, I just, I'm not overwhelmed that how a lot of people are like oh they're not playing any defense anymore like well this is what you want this is what y'all want fantasy football players y'all want to see scoring y'all want to see all these points and everything like that y'all want y'all don't want it quite big 12 level but y'all still want to see a bunch of points so this is the football that's being played nowadays i do believe by the time we get deeper into the season. Well, SEC gets deeper into their season because other teams have been playing for months now. But I do believe further we go into the season we're gonna see the defenses start to ratchet up, fix things, tweak things and everything like that. So I I'm not I'm not over the moon about defenses and the lack thereof just yet. I do think that we're gonna start to see some defense here once you know. Once the weather changes and all that type of stuff, when the so, passing
4: game really, you know, you'll yeah. find out the you know pretenders and contenders as far yeah. as that goes. That's why I have yet to be like I, people are ripping. I, I I watch I follow people on social media that just rip all these teams right now. Oh, they don't look like a real top five team. Look at that defense, folks. I the reason I'm not commenting on that right now is because there's a good chance Ohio State. There are good defensive teams not playing good defensively right now mm-hmm. because of timing, because of lack of time on the field. This has been a preseason that was unlike any other. Was it even really a preseason? It was a lot of, you know, it was bad. Um, and I, I think that Ohio State could potentially face the same thing. I mean, you, I, I listen to shows all day that talk about how the offenses have had the advantage coming into this season because of, you know, the lack of, pre- you know, the, the timing of the defense is, you know, very key. So I, I'm a little weary. What's going, What Ohio State has going for them is that they play some of the worst offenses in, in college football. <laughs> like, let's be clear. Um, at the end of the day, the Big Ten gets a lot of credit for. Oh, they're the, one of the best defensive conferences out there. I don't think it's a matter of them being one of the best defensive conferences out there. I think it's because they don't have as good offenses as a lot of the conferences do. That's not a slight at Ohio State or even Michigan at times, or you know, even Penn State. But when I talk about the conference, I'm talking about the conference as a whole. On a week in, week out basis, you have an Indiana offense, you have an Iowa offense, uh, you know, you have a Rutgers offense, you have a Maryland offense, you you have a lot of bad offenses. Even bad teams in the Big Twelve can score a lot of points. Mm-hmm that's the biggest difference so I think sometimes the Big Ten gets too much credit for being the defensive conference I'm like I just think that they are way style behind it's the style of play it's the they are behind as far as the style of play goes offensively for most teams Ohio State is up with the times Michigan is much you know they, they, they that's their biggest knock and Harbaugh is how he's kept them back because he hasn't adjusted and, and kind of you know moderned up that offense a bit but it's a bad offensive conference top to bottom I should say mid top to bottom Um, and that's why I think even the bad big 12 teams are better offensive teams have better offensive schemes have better offensive minds running that's why I kind of do like Mel Tucker I like what Mel Tucker could potentially bring to the table for Michigan State because he's going to bring a lot of the same similar schemes that they were doing. You know, he's coached with the, you know at Alabama, he re, you know very good recruiter. I like the Mel Tucker hire. I think big it's it's kind of a boring hire right now because not a lot of people know who he is. But big picture, he brings more to the table than just bringing up some you know coordinator under an already current Big Ten team who's running the same boring offenses anyway. So to me, I like the Mel Tucker thing as far as that goes. But the Big Ten, Ohio State. I worry about them starting out defensively early because we've seen it across the board. But what they have going for them is they don't have good offensive teams on their schedule. They have a really bad schedule this year. Penn State might test them early, but I'm not convinced how good Penn State's defense is. I think Ohio State is just going to steamroll everybody because the offenses are ahead of everyone. And Ohio State's offense is already miles ahead of everyone, especially right. in the Big Ten, just because of how good they are.
2: You know, you look at their schedule and you look at the teams that they play and you look at the teams that quote-unquote run a modern offense um Nebraska they just don't have the personnel to compete with Ohio State. You look at uh, Indiana, they run a modern offense. They don't have the personnel. So the only team on there that runs a modern offense that has the personnel is Penn State. And I've been saying it since we've come back for the third time, I think we said we we're going to play Big 10 football is Anything less than a national championship is a failure. And I'm not that guy. I normally don't do that type of talk. Like, I'm normally the guy that comes in to seasons with reasonable expectations. Like, for instance, I expect all right expect the Indians to compete for the AL Central. I expect the Steelers to either win the AFC North and make a playoff run or get the wild card. But my expectations this year for the Buckeyes is a national championship or it's a waste. Because I don't care what anybody says. In my opinion, all this was done because Ohio State can win a national championship. Big Ten is back because Ohio State can win a national championship. You have an opportunity. We're playing again. Stay Rona free and go win a championship.
4: That's going to be the key is, is the Rona and just health in general. On, with the Rona concerns, of, uh, we've seen just how, whether it's false positives, real positives, whatever, the positive tests are going to be what make or break teams this year. Forget defenses.
2: It's who's going to be healthier. Uh, <laughs> Especially in, in the Big Ten the because they're out for 21 days, right? Yeah, if you test positive for COVID in the Big Ten, you're out for 21 days. So, Which is totally different from any other see, conference. Fans,
4: we, we tell people that, but I don't think it really sets in with people. Until it's not going to set in with someone until, like, I can't wait for when it, well, I don't want it to happen. But what I'm saying is the first time it happens, we're going to hear the, wait, what? Right. That's not fair. By the way, we're already doing that with attendance at games. Mm. For instance, when there was talks of no football, what did B- Buckeye fans say? I don't even care if there's no fans at the games. We just want our football. Well, now you got your football. Well, now what you're going to start hearing is, well, how come we can't have fans of games? Everyone else is having it. Again, we're always going to play that childish game of, well, how come they get it and we don't? Mm-hmm. We are acknowledging that nothing makes sense in 2020. At this all. isn't a matter of whether I think it's right or wrong to have fans of games. It's just a matter of what happened to the consistency of... Who cares about fans at games? We just want Big Ten football back. We just want our Ohio State football. And now we're starting to see fan bases get a little uncomfortable because some fans have, you know, some teams have fans and others don't. This is where the Dan Mullen situation in Florida really gets interesting. Dan Mullen, remember, keep in mind the state of Florida has opened everything up like full capacity. Like they, there is no restrictions on capacity at games or anything. If Florida wanted to, they could open up the gates and they could sell out all 90,000 seats Whew. in their home stadium. Dan Mullen. Closing out the game this past week, it says he really wants a sold out ninety thousand fan game for LSU coming up this weekend. Of course, reporters have just lit him up for it, um, and he had this quote, Kev, that I'm going to read, and I find this very ironic considering the next stage of this, the next phase of the story. Kev, he goes, I'm going to, uh, he goes, I'll be honest. I think if you look at what we've been able to do, Dan Mullen talking about Florida. The safety precautions that we have, that our players have followed, our coaches follow, our staff follows. You know, I think we are a model of safety of what we've been doing during this time period. Here's my biggest problem with what he had to say there. What the hell does that have to do with 90,000 fans? Because those 90,000 fans aren't rushing the field especially since you've lost already and your playoff hopes are done. So there's that, Florida every year. Every time we try to give them a little push and we try to give them that little shove, they let you down every single time. But what does that have to do? Even if Florida does follow the protocols properly, and so does Ohio State, and a lot of schools at least believe that they do, but it takes one mistake, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not even a mistake. It's just called playing during a pandemic, and you're going to catch it on accident or, while not following protocol, Titans. Uh, that's why we're having Tuesday night football this week. Um, it's going to happen one way or another. So, he says all of that, Kev, which is a stupid response to, I mean, what does your players following the safety protocols have to do with why it's okay to justify putting 90,000 fans in a hot box during a pandemic? That makes zero sense. I think he's stupid for that. But here's where the irony comes in. Not even 24 hours after he says that, Kev. Number 10, Florida now has five new COVID cases on the football team. <laughs> And I'm not laughing, by the way, at the players who tested positive for COVID. I am laughing at the irony. You literally have a coach who is trying to justify putting 90,000 fans in a stadium during a pandemic and trying to act like, what's wrong with that? Even if you don't think there's anything wrong with that, folks, because I don't really want to... I'm t- Look, we've been doing this since March. I'm <laughs> tired of the argument of, well, the stats show that COVID's really not... I, stop it, people. You're, Look, you're not going to change my mind on that. I ain't going to change your mind on what I think. So let's just give it up. My, the point is, I think we can all agree that the perception is that's not good when you are urging 90,000 people to gather in a stadium during a pandemic. It's right. not a good look. So he comes out to defend himself and says... No school out there handles the protocols better than we do. We are the face of safety. Everyone should follow us. Look what we do. Sounds 20, like politics. Twenty four hours later, look it. Five new positive cases on there. I mean irony
2: at its finest. Facts. And another thing is something we talked about before was when your team has a little outbreak, don't bash the players because we don't know how they caught it. Because there's been plenty of people that have caught COVID that weren't out partying, going to restaurants, going to bars, being, you know, regular people. You know, people have caught it, just surprisingly caught it. So that's one aspect. And then the biggest aspect of it, he wants that home crowd advantage because he felt his team lost because Texas A&M had a ton of fans in the stands. And he was proclaiming that the fans were ruckus and rocky and it helped Texas A&M stay motivated when they were Blowing them out early in the game and their crowd helped them out and everything like that. And he wants that same home and field advantage on his team. And you and I both said this was going to happen. We saw this coming from a mile away. When you have some states. In some places allowing fans and then some states and places not allowing fans, it was only a matter of time for somebody to lose and for them to start complaining. And you and I both said it's not fair. It should be, hey, man, nobody until everybody can have fans in the stands. Nobody should have fans in the stands. I totally think it's unfair. Uh, It's definitely in college football where the fans have more an effect on the game than the professional game but it's totally unfair it's not right nobody should have fans in the stands until everybody can have fans in the stands and they're talking about packing the joint bruh you put 90,000 people in there you about to have 20,000 people with the Rona by Sunday <laughs> so you know at this
4: point again we've been having the same COVID conversation since March I'm tired of the COVID's overblown covid i don't want to, i don't want to hear i don't want to hear about that this is just strictly the irony and hey no one follows safety better than we do and then not even 24 hours later Oops. five players test positive for the coronavirus i don't find that the players have tested positive funny i, I but you can see where the the, the irony comes mm-hmm. into the story here where look to to be that arrogant and that cocky to say we're the fate i mean we follow all safety precautions i mean we are the face of what it's like to to you know be safe here that is ignorance that that just right there shows how dumb you are because you can't prevent it from happening like you could do these things to help prevent it but you are not going there's no bullet actually the only bulletproof plan to it is the bubble the nba the nba prove as much as people like to bash the nba they're Mm -hmm. smarter than every other sports out every sports program or sports conference out there because the nba hockey yeah i mean what the nba just did is beyond impressive by the way
2: yeah like Like, shoot the nhl they had two bubbles
4: yep (laughs) And they figured it out. They figured it out. All right. 457-9464. That's the number to call and join in on the conversation. Hugh Jackson revealed his biggest regret going back to his Bengals days. We'll get to that in 10 minutes, top of the hour, 5 o'clock. We got a couple of your phone calls. We'll get to next. Don't go anywhere
2: college football it's the game you wake up early on saturdays for even though kickoff isn't until seven the game where the good year blimp becomes a hall of famer the game that goes just beyond school spirit fandom or love of the sport it's the game where the comebacks happen it's the game where anything can and will happen as long as you have the drive because college football is the game that moves you we get it because it moves us
1: too year, more driven. The great thing about facts, they're proven. Like the fact that crude oil contains impurities. Or that base oil made from natural gas is 99.5% free of impurities. And the fact that oil is the first synthetic motor oil made from natural gas, not...
3: Buckeye fans, the season is finally here. No, for real this time. ESPN 1410 Wing AM is Dayton's home of the. ESPN
4: Radio's Jason Fitz will join us about 35 minutes from now. 11, or 11 in the world. Learn to tell time. What's wrong with you, Justin? My goodness, let's start this over. ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz will join us 35 minutes from now, 5.30... We'll hear from Jason, we'll talk about your Browns, we'll talk about your Bengals, we'll talk a little Buckeyes, that's all coming up here 35 minutes from now. Five minutes from now, we'll get into Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson, in an interview on a podcast earlier this week, revealed his biggest regret that goes all the way back to his days with the Cincinnati Bengals, and yeah, his response, Bengals fans, even Browns fans, you'll find very, very interesting. We'll get to that coming up here in just a minute. Let's go to the phones as we close out Hour 2. We got Matt waiting on us. Matt, how are you? Welcome in, sir. Hey, man, how are you? It's Matt in It's been a minute. Holy smokes. I've heard from a lot of old people today. How about that? Welcome in. <laughs> well,
6: you know, then Buckeyes get close. You know, you're going you know, to... Right? And, and
4: we out. are officially less than two weeks away, a week and a half. I'm pumped.
6: Yeah, I've kind of taken a step back from the sporting world to some degree, you know. But, you know, hearing you guys talk, you know, I agree with, with Kev. I don't think I've called in since Kevin started with you, but I agree with him. I think the days of, you know, the the low-scoring things are, are going to be far and few between I think they'll still happen here and there but I think the league is definitely transitioning to scoring
4: which I think I I hate it I don't know why I hate it I hate big 12 football for that very reason Uh, I like I don't think I want a defensive slugfest every week seven to three I don't miss the trestle ball by any means (laughs) but at the same time like I like a good balance like and I just feel like right now there's not a good balance I hated the Alabama game from over the week I just thought that was bad football
6: yeah, you know, I think Kevin mentioned it earlier. You know, the punt and the turnover have kind of shifted. I liked it when the punt still did
4: mean something, right? Mm-hmm. You know, field but, position uh, and like those kind of battles.
6: But uh, you know, and I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head too. You know, Ohio State's got the talent to, you know, maybe overcome some of that, um, overcome some of that rust. But I guess my question is, do you think the Big Ten in general, Big Ten and Ohio State? Are, have somewhat of an advantage because of the, you know, the extra weeks that they've had here. For instance, like you know, Alabama this week, they're focusing, I would say, primarily on Georgia, and they've altered their practice schedule, you know, to focus for this game. To where, you know, the last eight weeks, or by the time Ohio State has played, they'll be what six or seven weeks in. Everybody else, you know, is Ohio State still getting to practice more fundamental things right now compared to? you know, Alabama being isolated on, you know, practicing for, like, a particular opponent.
4: No, I I think that's a great point. You know, Kev, real quick, like, if you look at Clemson, to go off of Matt's point, Clemson doesn't look as rusty as some of the other teams, and I think the difference between that is, is here's why, like, quarterback. Um, they've had the same quarterback for a few years. And to be honest, since JT Barrett, Ohio State has yet to have the same quarterback in back to back seasons. And I think, to your point, Matt, yes, the extra time is going to help Ohio State, but this is a veteran led group now. I mean, that offensive line's all coming back. Sure, you have some new, you know, your Teague's going to get uh, a new set of carries that he didn't get a year ago, but you have Trey Sermon, who's a veteran back, who's going to come in. Like, this is a veteran group, and it starts at quarterback. I think having a seasoned veteran quarterback like Justin Fields is going too fast forward. The, the the progress of this Buckeye team, like we're seeing with uh, Alabama, or with uh, Clemson, mm-hmm. Alabama looks a little rough. Mac Jones got some time last year, but again, uh, I think that that team looks like a team that just is trying to get a lot of guys adjusted very quickly.
2: I agree 100%. I think every Big Ten team has the distinct advantage over all the other conferences that already started. Until
4: they start struggling, then it'll be about how wonky <laughs> of an season it
2: was. <laughs> because they've actually had way more practice time. A lot of these other schools started in August, and they had three, four weeks to prepare, and boom, they're playing games. Ohio State has been, they were practicing in August, stopped practicing, then started practicing again. So they've been practicing for like two months. So if you don't have your things buttoned up by now, there's a problem. With the coaching right. staff, so I just I think every Big Ten team has a distinct advantage, especially the Buckeyes because they have the superior talent, they have the superior coaching, and I'm going to keep on harping on this, and people are going to get, you know, they're going to start treating me like they treat Kenner. But if Ohio State does not bring home a national championship this season, is a failure. And there's Yeah, nothing... I mean, I'm with you. I... Go ahead. Go ahead
6: you no, know, I feel like I feel like you nailed that one too. I feel like there is a season because Ohio State has a chance, right? I mean, that's. I think that was a big push for it, you know. And, you know, when I watch these games these last couple of weeks, especially in the SEC, like, the I mean, I'm no athlete, I guess, you know, but the angles look off, you know, defensive tackling. You see a lot of missed tackles, angles, pursuit angles look off. You know, so I'm hoping, you know, Ryan Day is really focusing on that. And I think there's another advantage here too, right? <clears throat> so sitting by, being idle, you know, you're kind of hovering around in the polls in the same spot and you're seeing, you know, you see Texas lose, you see Oklahoma lose twice, you see Florida lose, right? You're seeing these big names, pro, big programs go down. You know, I wonder if that doesn't help the mindset, too, for every Big Ten team out there. Like, look, we've seen these these guys get ate up already. You know what I mean? so when they go into it, maybe they know, like, man, these teams already got a loss. They already got two losses. Mm-hmm. You know, if we stay focused, you know, and maybe in real time it's just easier for the Big Ten You know, because they've seen all these other teams, you know, kind of... I mean, some of it's, you know, self-cannibalization, I guess. You know, you got Alabama and Georgia playing each other, you know, three, five weeks into the season, you know, you got a loss. You know, but it's just such a weird perspective, you know, with the Big Ten sitting idle. I just wonder if that's an advantage, too. So, good talking to you guys, and uh, I'll get back at you. All right,
4: Sounds good, Matt. Take care, man. He brings up a good point. He brings up Georgia, by the way. I I will say this. My prediction... If Georgia beats Alabama in a close game, Alabama doesn't drop out of the top four Georgia obviously stays in and then it becomes a big race for that number four spot I mean right now you have Clemson number one the AP poll that's out today uh, Alabama number or Clemson number one Alabama two Georgia three Notre Dame coming in at number four. you have North Carolina at five Ohio State at six Cincinnati's at eight I the the rankings are a big joke. It's a humongous joke because you mean to tell me that after one week of Big Ten, all of a sudden, all these teams are just going to be bursting out of their spot. Like, if I'm in the top four... I'm going to be pissed if Ohio State takes my spot just because they've played one game and here we are a month into the season and we've been battling this whole time. I I don't like this. This is dumb. The ranking system is just really, really stupid, and that's coming from a guy that has a job that we rely on those rankings just to have something to talk about, but that's the thing. We don't rely on that to have something to talk about. So now I just get to talk about how dumb it is. I think it's dumb that Cincinnati is number eight. They are not the number eight team in the country. Let's just stop it with that. I mean, come on. We'll get to that next. Thank you.
3: There are many ways to catch the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. You can catch it live right here on 1410 Wing AM, or you can stream the show at wingam.com. But now we have another way that you can take in the show. You can now watch the Justin Kinner Show with live here on ESPN Dayton.
4: Clemson, number two, Alabama, number three, Georgia, and number four, Notre Dame. North Carolina coming in at number five, Ohio State six, Oklahoma State seven. Cincinnati 8 Penn State 9 and Florida 10 and the big question I have is when I look at all of that Ohio State just sitting there at number six makes no damn sense because even if they had played the last four weeks and even if this last four weeks they would have played the bottom of the barrel of the Big Ten in a couple max schools they would still be number two or number three in the country right now so why are you just sitting them at six if you're just sitting them at six because it's Ohio State you might as well have just put them as the placeholder for number two or number three as far as I'm concerned my the problem I have with all of this is that when Clemson's number one, they're going to remain number one as long as they remain undefeated. I mean, they don't lose conference games. They don't lose regular season games. Trevor Lawrence, I, I mean, it's unbelievable, Kev. The kid two years into his career has only lost one game his entire college football career, and it was in the national championship against Joe Burrow and the LSU Tigers. So, The kid doesn't lose. So LSU is not being bounced in that number one spot, and rightfully so. Alabama Alabama at number two, as long as they remain undefeated, if they beat Georgia this coming up weekend, the highest Ohio State can honestly sit early on is three. But if I'm Notre Dame or I'm North Carolina or I'm some of these other undefeated schools – I'm looking at the polls committee or whoever runs this AP poll and say, how can you just after one week of Ohio State playing Nebraska, they've played one game, and you're going to bump them up over us who have played a month already? I have a huge problem with that. The other problem I have is Cincinnati being at number eight. Cincinnati is 3-0. and They've played USF. UCF or whatever the hell they played. I mean, they played. Just stop. They played nobody. All right, they played. Uh, oh, who? Uh, something Murray. Who? Who they play? Hold on. I'm gonna bring this up. Uh, because you know, basically, this is a schedule Alabama would be proud of. Um, this is a, a, a definitely a schedule that Alabama would be proud of. I mean, look, they they have to play within their cup. But Austin P. The Governors. All right, they played the Governors. Uh, Austin P. <laughs> they heard
2: that one before, huh? What the
4: Governors? I don't know why I even said that. I have I've no. Context okay, for we'll,
2: that. we'll talk about it off. Did
4: off I? There. Did I? I don't even know why I said that. To be, I have no context for that. So I hope I didn't say something wrong. No, no, my no, no, it's,
2: it's hilarious. We'll
4: talk I am hilarious. Wow. I am funny. Thank you. Wow. So they beat Army, USF, and of course Austin P. Now Cincinnati is at number eight. And I saw pro, pro Football Focus come out today, and they're giving them all these grades and everything. And here's why I have a problem. Here's I have a huge problem um, with, of course, all of this with with, with stats in college sports because the, the playing field is not leveled. Imagine taking 10 students and... You know, t- 10 students, and you're going to give them all different levels of academia. You're going to tell them, you know, you're going to take a beginner to chemistry class, and you're going to take advanced bio. And then you're going to have all these kids taking different levels of difficulty, you know, in courses. And then the only you're going to rank them from who's smartest to dumbest based on GPA, even though everyone's taking different levels of classes. That's what we do in college sports, and it's the dumbest thing in the world. Do you think if we did that with 10 to 20 college students and had them take beginner to chemistry or, you know, biochemistry or whatever, and then ranked them all on GPA, do you think that would be the best way to figure out who's the dumbest and smartest kids in that group of 20, Kev? No. No. But that's what we do in college. We tell Cincinnati, you go take beginner to chemistry. You go take introduction to polygons, well, these guys over here are going to take the most advanced math classes, advanced science classes like Ohio State, Alabama, and others. And then when Ohio State or someone trips up, we're going to say, well, no, Cincinnati's smarter than you because, look, their GPA's higher than yours or their record's better than yours. It's stupid. It's dumb. Does anyone truly believe? Does anyone out there, besides Kevin, apparently, because I know where this is going, does anyone out there truly believe, even with Florida losing this past weekend, that Cincinnati is better than Florida? Does anyone truly believe that Texas A&M is not, that Cincinnati is better than them? Does even Miami, I watched Miami this past weekend, they did not look as good as Clemson, obviously. But at no point did I look at Miami and say, "Oh, Cincinnati would crush this team." Stop. We got to stop with. They got to stop this thing with this over romanticizing the, the non power fives and trying to create the Cinderella story. It, it's, Cincinnati's cute. They're adorable. They're the bear kittens. They're 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 cute. Penn State's at number nine. Cincinnati number eight. Do you really think Penn State is worse than Cincinnati? No. They're not get Cincinnati out of there.
2: If we're if we are, are you basing it off of the name Cincinnati or what they're doing on the field? Because it sounds like you're talking about the conference that they play in, and they're not big bad. SEC, Big Bad, Big
4: Ten. They don't have to play the Big Bad teams in the SEC. They could play the bottom of the barrel in the SEC, and it's still night and day better than what they're playing. Now, this goes back to my point about the GPA. We're going to have kids taking introduction to chemistry while they're taking biochemistry, and we're going to have a big mixture of everyone taking different levels of difficulty in classes, and then just base everything of who's smart and who's dumb based on GPA, even though... Everyone you know, everyone has a GPA, everyone has a record in college football, but everyone took different paths to get there. So if you have a better GPA than this person over here, it doesn't mean that you're smarter, it just means you took the easier classes. Well, Cincinnati, you're the dumb kid in this situation. You took the easier classes, while well, this kid over here... All right, like me, challenge yourself. You took the difficult classes, okay? I, trust you me, that's a joke. I went, to eight years I, I went to school eight years, and I went to school eight years. I'm not a doctor. I promise you, that was not me. But that's my foot. Look, Cincinnati, they're a great story. But if if Ohio State is going to be number six, and then all of a sudden skyrocket to number two or three just because they played Nebraska here in a few weeks, then I bet. I mean, Cincinnati better drop back. I better see Penn State move back up. I better see Wisconsin move up. Like I, I and Michigan better move up. There's no way, absolutely no way, that Cincinnati is the number eight team in the country right now.
2: I just believe that it is repercussions for losing. You have to have repercussions for losing because the name of the game is W's and L's. So if you're winning games, you have to be rewarded no matter who you're playing. And you have to be not no matter who you lose to. Just like we're going to do our top five, bottom five uh, tomorrow after week six, well, week five, whatever week it is. And... The National Football League is done. Kansas City is no longer my number one team. Yes, they're still going to be in my top five, but there there are repercussions for losing. You just have to view it that way. I don't believe that, okay, there's a, a situation like, okay, Ohio State. We love the Buckeyes, but the year that they end up losing to Michigan State, everybody was hemming and hawing about we should have made the college football playoff, we got robbed, yada yada yada. But there's repercussions for losing. That's what happens when you lose games. So these teams they might Penn be Penn State disagrees. They might be better than UC, but guess what? Texas A and m y'all lost. So and we But why'd they lose? Because the other team that they play beat
4: them. If Texas a And M, no, really. Thank you for oversimplifying <laughs> that. I, I, by the way, I don't disagree with you on that. That's true. Uh, if Texas a And M plays those same three schools that Cincinnati did, since you, Texas a And ms undefeated, probably, and they're probably not the number eight team. And the we are only giving Cincinnati the benefit of this doubt because it's, they're just a feel good story. We do this every year, but then when the when it comes, you know, when it comes down to it, we're going to dangle it in front of them, but then we're going to pull it out away from them whenever the real, you know, opportunity gets there. There's no way they'll put them in the college. I said the best chance Cincinnati had of making the college football playoff was if the Big Ten ended up ultimately not playing. Because if the Big Ten ultimately ended up not playing, the Pac-12 – Whatever. It's the Pac-12. Even if they played, they still wouldn't have anyone there probably. And then the Big 12 just shot itself in the foot. I know you have Oklahoma State there, but it's only a matter of time before they you know, blow, their, you know, blow themselves up as far as that goes. So then it's basically just the ACC and the SEC. And then I thought that there was a good shot that if Cincinnati's undefeated at the end of the year, this would be the year to throw them a bone. But that was because I thought there would be only two major conferences fighting it out for four playoff spots. But now that's not the case. And I, I just, like I said, I just have a hard time respecting this ranking at all because, for one, I'm actually saying this. Ohio State has no business being even in the ranking. Anyone in the Big Ten does not because you haven't played anybody. How dumb is it that Oklahoma State's 3-0, and Ohio State's 0-0, and they're ranked ahead of Oklahoma State. Now, if Ohio State's playing and they're beating bad mm-hmm. teams – Ohio State, Alabama, you know, the Georgias, the Clemsons, there are certain programs that have earned the right to this point that I don't need to see them play somebody to know that they're somebody. Cincinnati does not deserve that treatment. I, I don't know why we're doing that treatment with them. That's I think all.
2: it's uh, another thing about the conference. I think the the biggest thing about the American and the thing that hurts the American the most is now you're down to only two teams that are undefeated. Uh, UCF has already lost. That was like their other <laughs> big team, Uh Memphis has lost and everything like that. So now the only undefeated teams in the American are the UC Bearcats and SMU. And they both play each other. So it isn't going to be one of those those matchups where they don't play each other until that final showdown. So either one of those teams getting a big boost from beating one another, that's not going to happen. That that matchup happens midway through the season. So that that's lost for them as well. Um, I just view it in the a, a simplest complex as it could be. If you lose, you got to be penalized. If you win, you got to be rewarded. Did you feel the same way when Boise State was on their tear a couple years ago? When Boise State was going <laughs> on the road uh, to Power Five teams and winning those games, did you feel the same way for them? Because I don't think you're not they, listening to my
4: argument. I'm, no, going, I'm, I'm, beating. I'm asking.
2: I'm asking. This is a serious question because you see when they go on the road, uh, they they've beaten. UCLA, back-to-back seasons, that was last year. But their big chance to make a splash was last year, and they lost Ohio State. They got smoked. But did you have that same energy when Boise State was beating tons of Pac-12 teams? They were going on the road to ACC teams, winning. Going on the road to SEC schools and winning. Did you have the same energy then?
4: I had the no. I did not have the same energy then because they were playing Power Five schools and beating Power Five schools. You talked about Cincinnati beating UCLA. That was they checked off that that box on the checklist of the criteria of how to be getting the college football playoff. Hey, you beat a Power Five team, good or bad. That's one way to get rid of that stigma of you being a non-Power 5 program. But what is killing the Bearcats is the fact that people cannot get over, and Brian Coleman says they beat UCLA, UCLA, LOL. Uh, But, to be fair, Cincinnati beating UCLA, that was a good win for them, because it does put the conversation in, okay, gets rid of that stigma of, oh, these teams can't compete, even with the bottom barrel of these Power 5 conferences. That's not, you know, true. The SEC, I believe that's the case. I do believe Cincinnati couldn't beat anyone in the SEC, even the worst teams in that conference. That's just my opinion. Um, But, when you get beat down by Ohio State, mm-hmm. like because Ohio State is the face of the playoff, as is actually technically Clemson and Alabama are. You can flip a coin between those two of who's the real face of the playoff since it came in. The Clemson and Alabama have dominated the playoffs since it came in, even though Ohio State set the tone by winning the inaugural national championship. Um, but. You know, when you think of Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, those are the teams that are the playoff. That when you get into the playoff, that's who you're running into. So for Clemson last year to be beating their chest saying, "Hey, we're a playoff team. We are a good team," you had your chance to face a playoff quality team, and not only, and I find if you lose thirty-eight, thirty-five, thirty, you know, twenty-eight to fourteen, whatever, that that's you. I can respect that because there was fight. There's no fight in the forty-five to nothing. Blowout, beatdown, shutout, loss because that just showed the gap between the playoff-caliber Buckeyes and the American Conference, the best of the American.
2: I Buckeyes. don't even think it's the uh, American Conference. Big, uh, big, look at what Ohio State did to Big Ten teams. Like mm-hmm. they're not doing any better than you UC did. The yeah, but only, but
4: those aren't playoff teams either.
2: So it's not about the conference. You're just strictly talking about the teams themselves.
4: No, the conference is what they are dealt with. They they were dealt that bad hand, you know. That's the stigma that they have to live with. And I bring and that's up the con- a
2: whole another can of worms.
4: Because Ohio State, it's the opposite. So Cincinnati has to load up their non-conference with games just to get the respect before they get into the conference portion where no one's going to respect those. Even when they do run into top 25 teams within their conference, it's usually number 19 versus number 14. And it's hard to really buy into that when we're tuning into Ohio State, number two versus number five Wisconsin. It's not the same weight. So when, when Cincinnati has to play the non-conference big boys, you have three weeks at the beginning of the season to prove that you're a playoff team, which is unfortunate for Cincinnati in a regular season. Uh, in Ohio State, they don't have anything. to I mean, They're playing, the, you know, just like everybody else, they're playing your max schools and so on to ease their way into the season. Cincinnati doesn't get that luxury. They have to be a finished product right away. But not, not this year. They don't have the luxury of having that non-conference to bolster their playoff resume. And I don't think that the schedule they have is good enough to justify putting them in the playoff. And they're going to be undefeated. Them or SMU will be undefeated at the end of the year. And we're going to sit here and say, oh, man, should they be it? No. We, it might be a talking point. It's good for sports talk. It's good for the SEC sh- or the sports, uh, you know, sports center shows and all that. But no, it, it, you're not going to even a one-loss Florida I, team should get in before an undefeated. System. I think
2: it's always a moving target for the non-power five teams. Um, they're at a clear disadvantage with this whole layout. Um, it's kind of like Charlie Brown and Lucy. They keep moving the football. You go undefeated, we'll let you in. Oh, we went undefeated. Uh, UCF. Ah, sorry. No, you're not good enough. Y'all go play in the Peach Bowl. All right, we about to beat this Power Five team in uh, Auburn. Oh, they beat Auburn. Oh man. Well, Auburn, man, they didn't really even want to be there. It's true. So, but I mean, that's think what think they're saying. taking them. You know, do
4: you think you're taking. They're taking them serious. They were getting ready to play in the playoff. They were getting ready to play the Buckeyes or Alabama
2: or Clemson, and we got Cincinnati constantly moving to target, man. Utah, I, I don't think Utah. So. I think that it's the same you, target every that, year. It's no, the same no stigma they, every year. they move to target. You say you got to beat this team, they go beat the team and then you go put them in the playoff, I mean, put them in a, a, a big time matchup and they go win and it's still not good enough it's for exhibition some exhibition game.
4: Bowl games mean nothing.
2: And, and this happened with Alabama. When Alabama lost to utah in the sugar bowl lost in their own sec backyard they lost to, to utah oh well, you know alabama didn't be there no nah, man y'all went out there y'all played y'all lost give this team they respect and it's the same thing they're a good with, cute little team same, same thing with you see is that they need to continue to build their program until they get into a power five program same thing that happened with utah utah wasn't always in the pac-12 they kept winning, like they won under Herb, they won under Willingham, that big win they had in the Sugar Bowl over Bama propelled them into the Pac-12, so my advice for UC and all the UC fans and everything like that, keep winning games, you're never going to get in the Big Ten, and that's... A total different conversation because everybody that loves me will hate me because I'll break down exactly why U C is not in the Big Ten. Um, why not? They can get shut out just like Maryland and Rutgers. No, 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 no I'm saying. I mean, yeah, they could. <laughs> they they could, but I'm they saying look
4: just as competitive. I'm not gonna lie.
2: Yeah, I mean it's the same thing. But you know the well the reason they're not in the Big Ten is because of Ohio State. Ohio State won't let them in the Big Ten. That but that's another story. But them, you sound like U D fans. But oh, that, that Xavier won't let us in. That is it's a it's a fact. If if I'm Ohio State, I'll let them in. It's a fact that they won't let them in, but but that's neither here nor there. You know, you try to wiggle your way into a Power 5 program and then use Roll the Dice and see what happens then. Utah did it. You can do it, too. Yeah, and see, the thing is, out of
4: the American Conference... Cincinnati hasn't even been the more, most impressive storyline of that conference the last five years. UCF, UCF Thursday, if, I to, if there's Memphis. a team in that conference that deserves to be plucked to a bigger conference.
2: It's UCF, and they'll never be in yep. because Miami, Florida, Florida State won't let them in. I mean, you, have the, you know, the,
4: SC, the ACC, the SEC,
2: yes. there's too many schools in that area
4: that you know they're going to keep them. They're going to bobo them out. So, uh, 457, uh, no, we're not actually going to take calls because we do have Jason Fitz coming up here in a few minutes. Let's go to the Facebook feed real quick. Brian Coleman says, you are on fire. Preach. Thank you. And that's coming from, Brian Coleman, just because I know you're talking about me, please educate Kevin. Tell Kevin yeah, that you were talking about me. Tell him I was on fire.
2: I, and I'm preaching because I wasn't sure who he was talking to. Hallelujah! I was gonna ask if he was talking about me or talking about you, but obviously you would assume he's talking about you. Of course, absolutely. <laughs> that
4: would be the kinder way. Brian, <laughs> put in the comment section that you were talking about me. That you were talking about me, because he goes on to say, "Well, he disrespects Ohio State. He goes, oh, Ohio State and Clemson have a cakewalk to the playoff. Ohio State playing in the Big Ten is like Bama playing in the MAC." I'm not going to disagree that the schedules are weak, but uh, I mean a lot of schedules are weak. Uh, the, you know, right. you know. So, uh, David Shaw says, Justin, you are wrong a lot today. No, I'm not. And by the way, <laughs> earlier when you said that a win's a win, that's not always th- the case. Again, that's that's like saying, well, a 4.0 is a 4.0. Well, th- does that mean that you're smarter than that person over there? Yeah. See, Brian Coleman, Justin is on fire.
2: He's talking about me. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> Definitely a good thing. Because, I mean, in the basketball sense, that's a good thing. But, like, in the actual, literal since a oh, fire, that would be bad. The roof.
4: The <laughs> roof. Uh, Todd Meadows says, I have to. Oh, here we go. It gets better on Facebook. Well, again, we're live on Facebook. Search the Justin Kenner Show. You get to comment in the comment section, and we get to have a lot of fun that way. We get to pull you into the show. For those of you who are at work or in the car and you can't you know, call in, that's fine. I don't suggest really texting and driving, but, you know, do whatever you got to do. Todd Meadows says, I have to agree with Justin on the rankings. It would be ridiculous to rank Cincinnati above Alabama or Georgia after this weekend just because Alabama or Georgia have one loss. To your point earlier, a lot you know, you, you need to punish teams for a loss, but again, if Georgia has a loss this week, it's because they play Alabama, not Cincinnati who's playing Austin P or they've already played Austin P, but you see my point. So, you know, Cincinnati gets more of a reward for beating a team like Austin P while Georgia loses a game to, to Alabama. I don't think Cincinnati, who has an undefeated record in a one loss Georgia or Alabama team, it doesn't make Cincinnati better than those. Todd, you're a smart man. I agree with you. And oh, just
2: yeah. like Everything in college football, we talk about rankings and we complain about rankings, and obviously we have to do that because that's our job. But as we talk about off air a ton of times, I'm not a big rankings guy. I believe it always works itself out. It rarely, rarely, talk about an outlier, it rarely doesn't work itself out. Most of the time, the rankings always work itself out, and we get the teams that deserve to be. in the college But
4: when 0. Cincinnati's undefeated this year, which is going to happen in my opinion. They will be undefeated. Well, What's going to happen? They got to earn it.
2: They gotta earn it. They gotta go out there and earn it on the field. Oh, jeez, you're one of those. People. Yes, take I care am. Of oh my goodness. Yes, I mean, because oh, my that's the goodness. literal thing that will happen. See, they have to go earn it. Like they, they, they have to play SMU. They still have to go to UCF, who's the big dog in the conference until otherwise known. They still got to go to Memphis. Like they got games. They got to beat these teams. I'm not. We, I'm not giving them nothing. They gotta go earn it. We got uh, yeah. Anyways,
4: <laughs> David Shaw says what? Oh, coming from you. Oh, so you're fine with Ohio State being
2: number six right now, and they haven't played a dang game. Not. they shouldn't be ranked. Okay, fair enough. Nobody in the Big Ten. Fair nobody enough. in the Pac-12. You D- can't be ranked if you don't play a game. David Shaw says what? Do, uh,
4: what did you want UC to do this year? They had games scheduled. The schedule was. Stop. Not everything has to have this like moral like back end decision. Like oh well. You know, they had tough games scheduled. It got canceled because of COVID, so we're just going to keep them there. No. like You are going to get into the college football playoff based on what you do. And even if Cincinnati goes undefeated, they their resume will not touch even the one-loss teams. Because the one-loss teams, the only reason they have a one-loss is because they actually play somebody. And I'm not talking about the one-loss teams that get upset. I'm talking about the like Georgia or Alabama. This week, one of those two teams is going to come out of this weekend with a loss. We're talking about the number two team in the country and the number three team in the country. All of a sudden? One of those teams gets a loss and they're just no good. If it's 30, 40, you know, thirty-eight to thirty-five or forty-one to thirty-eight, a close game, you know, are we going to say, well, they, they, you know, uh, no, I, I don't agree with that. that that's a fact. Read the ra- that's a fact. Read the rest of the comments. I am. The schedule was canceled and then the conferences came back in conference only. So what are they supposed to do? They're not. There's nothing they can do. That's my whole point. Like the, my my whole point about Cincinnati is there's not a thing that they can do. They, can, I mean, UCF is proof of that. UCF is proof. UCF went undefeated for two years and they never made it into the playoff. That I mean, that's why I'm saying there's nothing that they can do. Get out of the conference, go elsewhere. Don't complain about how difficult it is to get into the playoff. I mean you gotta find, find a way to get something done. I don't know what you can do, but I'm just telling you the way it's going. It's not happening. It's not happening as far as that goes. Uh dude dude, dude Mike Nymphers says the problem is they shouldn't have disbanded the Big East Conference, should have made it stronger. That's a conversation argument for another day. We'll get back into this coming up around the corner. Good stuff, as always. I love college football season. I love, I love when Kevin's wrong. I love when Kenner's right. Woo. And Kenner was right. Go To go back to, to Brian Coleman, Justin is on fire. And that's uh, Bam O'Brien, by the way.
2: Oh. Yep. Uh, well, of course he will believe you. I'm not talking. Yeah. Okay, Bama O'Brien's on fire. stroking the SEC's ego. The Power 5 ego.
4: All right, we're going to be joined by ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz. We'll talk a little Browns. We'll talk a little Bengals. We'll even talk some guys. Jason yeah. Fitz, next.
1: Hi, this is Jay Farner, CEO of Rocket Mortgage. Making the right financial decisions has never been more important. We can help guide you to those right decisions now when they matter most. Mortgage rates are near historic lows, so when you call 8338-ROCKET or visit us at rocketmortgage.com to start your refinance, you'll be well on your way to saving money every month. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 3.125%, APR 3.43%. Right now could be a great time for you to take some positive financial steps forward with a cash-out refinance from Rocket Mortgage, which could give you the boost that you're looking for. In addition, we may be able to help you refinance with little or no out-of-pocket costs. At Rocket Mortgage, we're committed to every client, every time, no exceptions, no...
4: Justin Kenner, Kevin Nash back with you here on Dayton TSPN radio station, 1410 wing AM. How about this? I found this a little interesting. So former Ohio state coaches, urban Meyer, Jim Tressel, they both encourage continuing to follow COVID-19 prevention protocols, which that's a message we can all get behind. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, Ohio State always seems to just miss the, I mean, you have Jim Trestle and Urban Meyer not standing six feet apart, not wearing a mask, telling everyone to make sure you stand six feet apart and make sure you wear a mask. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Tune into Justin Kinner, 5-5 Justin Kinner as he tells you how to dunk later on. I mean, that, that that makes a whole lot of sense, right? All right. We welcome you back. Justin Kinner, Kevin Nash with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. Let's bring on ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz. Jason, welcome in, sir. How are you today? I'm doing spectacular. How are you doing? Good. Are you interested in taking the Justin Kenner learning how to dunk class?
7: Um, well, it depends. If it's on a four-foot rim, I like my chances. That's about the only shot I've got at dunking. Like, I don't think I could dunk on an eight-year-old at an elementary school. But, you know, <laughs> my hops are not what I'm known for. I, I yeah, you just got to accept your physical limitations as you get older, and I accept them.
4: Well, you know, they only I only play on four foot rims. Except I did get to play with the Harlem Globetrotters about a year and a half ago. That was like the coolest memory. They had me do this layup, though. That was so embarrassing. I could barely touch the backboard. So I don't really. I just talk about basketball. I don't try to play anymore, as far as that goes. But uh, we appreciate you taking time and hanging out with us today. Let's dive right into this. This is a conversation we had to open up the show today, Jason, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. Based on what you've seen five games in, if you could only pick, if you could redraft right now and you could only take one of those, who is the quarterback that you're taking between? those two and just for gigs we could throw two in there as well but joe burrow justin uh herbert who are you taking between one of those two right now with what you've seen five games in
7: joe burrow i'm still taking joe burrow and i'll tell you why. i know that's not a popular take but this is what we always do with every single quarterback that comes into the league we become infatuated with very small works a uh, group of uh, body of evidence right so you get a couple of games in and you say oh my god we've got our guy and everybody knows i'm a Raiders fan, right at the end of the 2016 season, Raiders fans were convinced Derek Carr was going to be the next Aaron Rodgers because as we see good from a quarterback, we decided that that good is everything. And then, you know, look at Baker. Baker Mayfield was the second coming year one. Year two, he was suddenly trash. And now year three, he's somewhere in the middle of it. That's why I keep telling everybody it takes so much time. But the one thing I'll say is that what matches, any tendencies you see that match what they did in college matter to me. So... I'm going to go back to who Justin Herbert was in college, and he was a good, dynamic playmaker that was able to extend plays and make fun plays with his arm. That's spectacular. But if you look at the metrics in college, when he got blitzed, it wasn't always pretty. If you look at the metrics so far in the pros, for whatever reason, people have been afraid to blitz him. But so far, when he faces a blitz, he has the second lowest completion percentage in the NFL. So while I understand that Herbert has made some big plays and it's been fun to watch, i got to wait and see a quarterback evolve against what defensive coordinators are going to throw at him. And I'm still going to look at Joe Burrow and say, hey, I've seen so much good from him in college that that plays into part of how I see him in the pros.
2: You know, we saw that horrible injury with Dak on Sunday, and mm-hmm. the whole rhetoric all week has been it's Jerry Jones' fault. Is it anybody's fault, or is this just football?
7: No, it's just football. Like sometimes bad things happen to good people, you know, and that's, That's the one thing, you know, for all the conversation about money, and that's I can't imagine, just a second, give me one second on the soapbox. I can't imagine if somebody that I loved was going through this horrific injury and the first conversation was never about their Mm well-being. It was instead about their money. I just think that's one of the worst things about the way we are as sports fans. So having said that, I, I think the most incredible moment was to see the way the players and coaches and everybody went to Dak's side, which tells you, How beloved he is. I mean, you don't do that for every single player. Not every player gets that level of love. So, that's a huge statement to Dak. The other side of it is, though, business is business. Dak rolled the dice, the Cowboys rolled the dice. And, frankly, everybody keeps talking about Dak like he rolled the dice wrong. I'm not buying it, because all indications are he's going to make a full recovery. And when he does, I still think somebody's going to pay him mega money. And if it's not the Cowboys, I still think somebody's going to pay him mega money, and they'll trade draft picks to get him, because they know who Dak can be. And You got the choice between the known entity of Dak or rolling the dice in the draft. You're taking Dak, I believe. So, you know, the Cowboys are the ones that I think are really, they they put themselves, you know, up a creek because Andy Dalton is just good enough to win some football games, and that's just good enough to get them into a spot where they're not going to be able to draft the quarterback that they would need to replace Dak. So, you know, I think the Cowboys are pinned in, but I don't think it's anyone's fault. It's just sometimes football stinks.
2: I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so I was very upset to see Le'Veon Bell sit out the season, then sign with the Jets. And now the word is they're trying to shop Le'Veon Bell. What possibly could the Jets get for Le'Veon? Nothing.
7: I I mean, there's just no market for him, right? Like,. Why would you trade for that huge? I mean, that's a lot of money for Le'Veon, and we've seen so little from him. But the other side of this is why are they letting Adam Gates do anything that has long-term ramifications? <laughs> if I'm the Jets and I'm going to let you at least stay in the building, you ain't going to get to make any important phone calls. It's like, no, you're not grounded. You're not fired completely, but you you've lost all phone privileges. Like, that's step number one. I'm not letting anybody in that building make any big decisions until I know who's actually going to be running the team and coaching the team next year, because I don't believe any of them are safe.
4: What do you think? You talk about who, you don't think anyone's safe. What about Sam Darnold? Uh, you know, I remember when the, the talk of the Bengals having the number one overall pick. The big conversation was, you know, good quarterbacks coming out of college that go to bad organizations and how cor- good quarterbacks coming out could be ruined. Uh, that was a big topic around here talking about Joe Burrow going to Cincinnati. You know, months and months ago before the draft, but. You know, then you see a situation like Sam Darnold and the Jets. I don't know who Sam Darnold is, and I don't think that's his fault. I don't know if the narrative fits here that it's the Jets' fault. I mean, what's the future of Sam Darnold? Is he a Jet next year? And if not, where do you think the, what do you think the market could be for a Sam Darnold?
7: I really think that, you know, okay, I, I get that people want them to go after Trevor Lawrence. If I'm the Jets and I end up being the worst team in football, I, I know that Trevor Lawrence has the opportunity to be special, and most people will disagree with me on this. I'm trading that pick for the mother of all bounties that I could possibly get because, uh, look, I don't love Sam Darnold. I I didn't love Sam Darnold coming out of college. I think he's sort of who he was at USC. Super talented guy that will make a ton of great plays. And then every once in a while, he'll throw a boneheaded pick to somebody that he's much better than. And that's what he did in college. And that's sort of who he is with the Jets. So I, I was hopeful that the Jets would be able to fix some of those tendencies for him. That hasn't happened. So. You know, but for, but if you're the Jets, I mean, I, I genuinely believe I don't care who they put. I, I don't care if they put Patrick Mahomes behind that Jets offensive line. They don't have other weapons. They don't have a good line. They don't have a team that's really worth playing on. They they need an all new roster, and that's not a, a popular take for a lot of people in New York. But those are the moments you got to look at it and say, hey, maybe what you need is to tear the whole thing down to the studs and rebuild. And and I believe that's what the Giants and the Jets are going to be looking at this offseason, and I don't think one player will accomplish enough of that. So I'm I'm looking at the bevy of picks. I think think Darnold's still going to get a chance. If he hits the open market, somebody will give up a third-rounder for him, at least, if not more.
2: You know, Kenner and I have this debate all the time about if you're the number one guy, like a Trevor Lawrence, and the Jets or the Lions have the number one pick, and they have their eyes set on you, and I'm a proponent of I'll go back to school, I'll sit out, I'll pull a John Elway, I'll pull a Eli Manning He sits on the other side of the fence with that, saying, you know, it's an honor to be picked in the draft, go play. If you're good enough, you can make it happen. I'm just a person that believes that, man, these teams have been terrible for so long and they'll ruin you. Now, we don't know if Sam Darnold would have been good if he went to another team, but we do know he's bad with the Jets. And we do know that the Lions have had two of the best position players of all time and, uh, Uh, Calvin Johnson, and then a Barry Sanders, and they did absolutely nothing with him. Where do you come down on the Trevor Lawrence if he's going to go to the Jets or Lions, him deciding to go back to school thing?
7: The only problem, and and look, I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with a lot of what you're saying. The only problem, there's two things. One, I believe that there's a bit of a God complex to a lot of these guys that are coming out at the top of the draft that believe that they can fix anything. But two, And this is big. I mean, money's money, right? Like, if you're Trevor Lawrence, you can take that insurance policy out all day that people talk about, but uh, they rarely tell you how difficult they are to to actually cash in and, you know, how much less it is. Like, if you're Trevor Lawrence, the day you sign, you're going to be getting TV money, you're going to be getting advertising money, and you're going to get a disgusting amount of money from a team to go play for a bad organization. So... You know, it only takes one, God forbid, Dak Prescott-like moment, mm. and everything changes for Trevor Lawrence. So I, if I'm Trevor, I go out, and I, you know what, I just do the best I can with what I got. And I I, I go into, if you're going into New York especially, I mean, you talk about just, you're going to be in New York. Like, the, the marketing opportunities for, you know, a, a likable young man like him, I, I think would be through the roof. So as much as those franchises are absolutely at times a dumpster fire, i don 't see how you
4: can justify not taking the cash espn radio 's Jason Fitz with this year. Uh, last thing I 'll we'll let you go, but you got the Steelers you got the Browns coming up this weekend, a big matchup again, both teams really trying to prove a lot like we we don 't really know who the Steelers are. We trust them because they have a veteran uh, coach, a uh, respected organization. You have Big Ben back this year they haven 't played anyone that really you know that they 've beat that you could say oh that that for sure that Pittsburgh is back. And you look at Cleveland; they're four and one; they're rolling. They, you know, right now it's, they're at an all-time high. This is a big game for both franchises this weekend. Who comes away? Is Pittsburgh, a three and a half point favorite, as we sit right now.
7: I well, look, I, I find myself believing in the Steelers because I still think about last year and how bad their quarterback situation was, and how good that team still was. So mm-hmm. I'm applying a little bit of that forward this year. But this is what I will say about the Browns. I think everybody last year was too high on the Browns, and everybody this year is too low on the Browns. And, you know, that that to me is sort of what happens when a bunch of national media people make some big statements about a a team, and then they get bit, you know, by it. So they come in the next year a little more cautious. The the only question last year about the Browns was their coaching. And they've answered this year what it looks like when you have a competent coach there. And and I, I think what the Browns are doing offensively is absolutely incredible. And, you know, I always love to throw out these stats. But... Their run block win rate is the second highest in the NFL. The the Browns are doing things, rushing the football, that's making it easy for them to throw the football, which is alarming because they have a lot of talented people to throw the football to. So I have a hard time seeing, you know, sort of how anybody's going to slow down the Browns right now. I think they're very good. But, man, I I believe that the Steelers are going to come out with a bit of a statement here. But ultimately, I think the Steelers win this game. I think the Steelers and Browns are both playoff teams, though
4: congratulations to your Raiders by the way Um, I will ask you this without taking anything away from your Raiders win Kansas City has looked a little questionable the last couple weeks is there something I mean again no one I didn't expect them to go undefeated I I don't think that you know it's very difficult to go undefeated for one just your Raiders looked really good but two is there something going on with Kansas City that they just haven't looked as explosive the last couple weeks
7: yeah there is and I'll actually credit Belichick as we always do for everything but it's it's warranted here (laughs) I think Bill put a little bit of something on tape, and and again I'll go back to these crazy stats. But this one really interested me on the Raiders Chiefs game in the second half, or in the game itself. Uh, the Raiders got 29 quarterback pressures. People keep talking about that, but the real significant stat is that their offensive line had a 65 percent pass rush win rate, which means which is actually better than normal. So it means that they actually kept the Raiders front four under sort of check. So in check. So. How did they get so many quarterback pressures? Well, Mahomes held the ball in that game longer than he has in any game in his entire career. And that's what Belichick showed everybody is, hey, you can vary up your coverages and confuse Mahomes. And that's what the Raiders did in the second half. That's what shut him down. They took a page out of Belichick's book. And I think now what we're going to see is a lot of zone blitz and a lot of, hey, how can we drop different people into coverage? Because if you make Mahomes hesitate for just a second... That can be enough to help you at least at least disrupt the timing of the plays. So he's still gonna do otherworldly things, but I do think that there's been a blueprint on how to at least slow him down a little bit, which is scary for the Chiefs.
4: Spain and Fitz, weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. right here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. You can catch Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz, who's awesome enough to join us every Tuesday from now and through uh, the end of December. Jason, thank you so much. Give Jason a follow on Twitter, at Jason Fitz, F-I-T-Z. Jason, thank you. Take care. We'll talk in a week. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. Peace. All right, good stuff there. ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz again. He joins us every Tuesday, usually at 4.30. Made to bump him back a bit. He was actually working on the Raider, uh, Raiders radio network just a little bit ago. 457-9464. We'll have time to wrap up a couple of your calls on the other side of the break. We'll be back in a moment. I didn't get to share this earlier. We'll close out the show with this. Hugh Jackson shared his biggest regret going back to the Bengals. I'll tell you what that regret is when we come back. Browns fans, you'll want to stick around for this one as well. All right, everybody, we are back and uh, we're closing things out here. But how about this? I, I thought, okay, like this is uh, <laughs> th- th- this is nuts, okay. Like, and Kevin already called me out for this during the break. He goes, "You just can't help yourself, can you?" <laughs> so I thought, based on Bengals fans' rules, that the I thought that rookie quarterbacks were not allowed to be in commercials if they had a losing record. <laughs> According to ESPN's Ben Baby, who covers the Bengals, Bengals rookie quarterback Joe Burrow is now a pitch man for Ohio based Lordstown Motors. The Electric Motor Company announced here's some of the promotional art. And no, Joe Burrow, he's so cool. He has a beanie on. A little shirt that says work for it. Oh my god, he's leaning against the car. Now, first of all, that's not as that's not as badass as leaning against a car shirtless with a freaking tiger next to you. That is how you make a statement. Not you know, oh, oh, he's so cool. But Bengals fans, I thought that rookie quarterbacks who haven't accomplished anything and have a losing record weren't allowed to be in commercials. Wasn't that the Baker Mayfield rule? But how come when your guy does it, Twitter's going nuts? Oh, that's our quarterback. Oh, man. I'm just curious. I just I'm curious about how the rules are. Let's go to Wink. Wink, close this out. How are you, sir? Wink is gone. Wink. My bad, man. You just did your job. We'll get to you tomorrow. We'll get to you tomorrow. All right, folks. So Hugh Jackson, former Browns head coach, former Bengals offensive coordinator. He was on a podcast earlier today. He said the number one regret that he had going back to his time with the Bengals was that he left Cincinnati to take the Browns job. He said there was a lot of, uh, he was uncomfortable being the coach in waiting, that there was a lot of talk from Mike Brown in the front office that he was going to be groomed as the next head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. But he just felt that that was going to really make Marvin Lewis uncomfortable. And with him and Marvin being so close, he couldn't do that to his friend, which ultimately led to him taking the job. Uh, in Cleveland, and uh, he is. He said he was frustrated. He said that he implemented the same things that he did in Cincinnati, in Cleveland, but he goes, look at the rosters that he had. There, there was how people expected him to win when they were gutting the roster, which, by the way, I agree with him. I'm not a Hugh Jackson guy saying that he shouldn't have been fired, but Hugh Jackson got a bad rap. You can't give a guy a rebuilding roster. By the way, that roster that went 0-16, you had Deshaun frickin' Kaiser as your quarterback. You didn't give Hugh Jackson to Sean Kaiser because you thought you were giving him a legit quarterback. You gave him to Sean Kaiser because you knew damn well you were trying to put yourself in position to have good draft picks, and you got. I mean, you ended up having the number one and the number four. So. I don't blame Hugh Jackson for the calamity that was the Cleveland Browns, you know, just a few years ago. But man, that's why I always say: make sure you're smart about your next job. Right? Just, you know, be enemy. I want him to get a head coaching job. Everybody does, but just don't go take any old job to take a head coaching job because it'll ruin you. And you know, and send Ty Lue your next head coaching job in the NBA. Make sure. It's a good job. Don't just go take a job to take a job because then when you go lose, it's not going to be because, oh, it's a bad team. It's because it's Tyloo. You know, Hugh Jackson, no one looks at him and says, Oh, he failed because the Browns are a joke. They say he's the joke. That ain't fair. We'll finish this up tomorrow. More of the Justin Kinder, not more. Tomorrow <laughs> we'll be back. More of the Justin Kinder show tomorrow with Kevin Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio.